0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, we got a packed show uh, for today, we're recording on a Thursday because Wednesday we had USC practice, fall camp. We're in that time of the year where fall camp starts messing up with our with our summer schedules. We gotta we gotta adapt for the fall schedule, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that because you were at a practice, uh, at a Coliseum practice you attended, and everyone wants to get the Hurricane thoughts on what he saw at USC fall camp practice in the Coliseum. So we're gonna talk about that. We also have to talk about a new bit of breaking news in the NIL space with the new student body right collective that news broke this week and a lot of you know message board posts about it and a lot of uh, a lot of headlines about this new collective entering this this space for the Trojans so we're going to talk about that we got some defensive line news as well we're going to talk about we got a whole bunch of listener questions this might be our most listener questions since week one of this podcast when we ask for questions for a big Q&A. So we got a lot of a lot of those to get through. And then we have a commitment to talk about. So, Gerard, before we jump into it, how you doing?
0: We have a commitment to talk about, like, that's the last thing we're going to talk about. It should be the first thing we're talking about. All right, We've got Braylon Shelby, one of the top uh, defensive players in the 2023 class that committed to USC uh, last weekend, actually. And we talked about it a lot probably in the two previous podcasts so obviously it'll be a little bit of rehashing uh some of what he brings to the table as a prospect and um sort of what the impact is for usc down the line but um we usually open up with new commitment new commitment but obviously with fall camp going you know everybody's starting to turn their attention slowly to the team you know (laughs) now the actual football season is 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 here and people are starting to think about uh, the actual football team and the wins and losses that will happen on the field this season.
1: Absolutely. Starting to rev up, you know, people are excited for that September 3rd opening, get to talk about real football and things we see on the practice field and eventually the Coliseum. But you're right. We do have a commitment. I didn't want to sound like we're the last thing on our minds, but it did happen. You know, almost a week ago, he uh, Braylon Shelby, four-star edge rusher out of Friendswood, Texas, you know, made his commitment last Saturday at a school did it so on our 24-7 Sports YouTube page, which is, you know, new. We're, we're getting a lot of uh, commitments, live commitments done on there. So make sure you go check it out. Go subscribe to that page. got to plug the home base 24-7. But came down to USC and the Texas Longhorns. You know, Braylon Shelby was the guy who took an official visit during that big mega weekend in June. Uh, it was the guy who I talked to after that visit. And, you know, USC blew it out of the water. You know, he was – Super impressed by what they did. You know, at one point he was like, I'm having a hard time describing what I saw on that visit. So he was a guy who was a early kind of offer for this staff, a three-star prospect at that time. But Shelby, six foot four and a half, 235 pounds, has seen his stock soar tremendously during the spring and the summer. He's now a consensus four-star recruit, firmly in the top two, four, seven. He jumped in the top two, four, seven in our latest updated rankings to number 156 in the country, the number 18 edge prospect in the country, number 30 prospect out of Texas. He is number 133 in the 24-7 sports composite and and the number 15 edge. So this is a very good get for USC in this class. Move them back up to number 12 nationally. And, Gerard, you did did mention that you did kind of break down his game a little bit. Uh, In our previous uh, podcast, we were kind of setting the stage for his commitment on Saturday. We felt good about the Trojans. Obviously, that ended up being true, but this is a guy that you really like, Gerard, and a guy you even said that, you know, is still a little bit underrated, you feel, even though he's, you know, made some big big jumps in the rankings recently. So, Gerard, everyone wants to know.
0: Can he play? <laughs> yeah, he can play. He can play. He's um <laughs> a very interesting player because he has, you know, legit size at 6'4", 235. We've talked about him in the past being a guy that probably can get up to that 260 range, 265 range, but he also has the athleticism, the agility, and more importantly, just the spatial awareness to be able to probably only be 240, 250 range and and be more of a linebacker. So this is one of the few players that we see that are looked at as a hybrid rusher that have the legitimate size to put their hand down and become a weak side defensive end but also that awareness and space to be able to step off the line of scrimmage and actually make plays at the hash marks. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how USC wants to use him. Um, I would say, you know, player comparisons, I see him being less like a Corey Foreman and more like an Eric Gentry in that he's unique because he has that length and that size to be a defensive end But you watch him in space and you say, man, that that would be a little bit of a waste just to put him at the line of scrimmage and have him rush the passer every snap. This is a guy that legitimately you could put out there in the RPO off the line of scrimmage and you see him play gets the option and he really can play multiple ball carriers at a time. And that's really a a, a tremendous tool to have as a defensive coordinator to be able to have that guy off the edge that can really sort of babysit that hash mark and not allow the offense to be very decisive about their option game. So, you know, you see him make a lot of plays. I think that he can play sort of multiple positions. You can throw wrinkles out there, uh, again, play him maybe more like a sandbacker or put him at the line of scrimmage if you're playing against a purely passing team and you just want to get speed upfield. So schematically, I think he fits a lot of different defenses. I think for him it's really, you know, not as important because I think he could do different things in different defenses, and it's not so much of an issue where you're looking for this unique uh, sort of specific fit. He's a guy that can float out there, and unlike some of the the rush ends that USC has recruited in the past and have on the roster, and guys that they're even you know recruiting right now, because you look at the rest of the board, you've got David Peavy uh, that USC is trying to uh, be able to land. It's really USC and Oregon right now for David Peavy. He's six four two thirty five. But when you watch his film, most of it is at the line of scrimmage. He has the speed on paper to be able to play a little more of a hybrid spot, a little more linebacker spot. Interestingly enough, 24-7 sports has him rated as a linebacker, yet he almost entirely plays rush in on film, whereas Braylon Shelby, I would argue, is more of a linebacker. In fact, he was an all-district outside linebacker uh, for his team there at Friendswood, so He's really more of a linebacker and has shown more that he can be a linebacker, meaning he can play off the line of scrimmage, he can play in space, he can cover, he can do some different things. Whereas PB's been more of a just get up field out of a two point stance, uh, rush end, hybrid rush end, but still a rush in. And then you have Mateo Ungalale, who really, you know, kind of plays a five technique standing up, does a little uh, wide side, uh, seven technique as well for St. John Bosco. But to me, as a guy that really needs to have his hand on the ground, he needs to be playing defensive end. He needs to be more of a traditional go upfield defensive end. I would compare him more with a Drake Jackson. I think defensive line is really where he has to hang his hat at the next level. Um, and, and we've seen him play a lot of tight end. I think early in his career he was looking to play tight end, to be a tight end. Uh, but I, as, as time has gone on and he's you know 270 now, I think defensive line is sort of become a, a little bit more of where his ceiling is going to be the highest position wise. And I feel like that's a, a situation where he could go somewhere and people are going to sell him on. Oh, yeah, man, you're you skilled enough to play outside linebacker. And, and, and kids like to hear that. We've already said, you know, if you're a, a defensive end, you want to hear about how, how athletic you are and how you can play linebacker. If you're a linebacker, you want to hear about how great in coverage you are and how athletic you are, you can play safety. If you're safety, you want to hear about how great in coverage you are and how athletic you are, and you can actually play corner. They always want to go up to the position that is looked at and identified as being more athletic, right? But if the truth of the matter is you sometimes have a certain skill set that is better for one position or the other. And we saw that with Drake Jackson. The Drake Jackson experiment I don't think worked for USC. I think they wasted a lot of reps with him playing in the flats and playing in the curls when he should have had his hand on the ground and he should have been one gap attacking the quarterback. He had natural spilt uh, pass rushing skills, just this real innate ability to kind of feel himself around blocks. And that kind of stuff just gets – it's it's not used when you're playing in the two-point stance and you're sort of trying to read, am I going off into the flats? Am I attacking on a scrimmage? What am I doing as this quasi-outside linebacker? which uh, USC just basically called a rush end, you know, other schools have called it um, the buck spot. You've heard predator, you know, there's a lot of different names for that particular position Um, for this defense that Alex Grinch is running to our knowledge is just being called a rush end. And then the other side is going to be the defensive end, which is um, the, uh, the, the, the Nick Figueroa uh, side of things. Right. Um, I kind of feel like that's where Mateo needs to be. That's, the position that Mateo needs to be. It's not like you can't peel him off in a zero blitz and a zone blitz and have him do some things because he has great footwork and he has athleticism and and he's got good ball skills. He's actually a a pretty decent uh, tight end catching the ball, but that's a lot of sort of you're doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of that, and that takes away from your ability to focus in on what you do best and building that craft and becoming better at that because he's not a super dominant football player right now in high school. He's a five-star, but he has not been like a dominant player at St. John Bosco. So I think a lot of that has to do with him just moving positions and kind of taking um, reps and spots and doing things that, you know, it's nice. It's nice to showcase your your talent and your ability uh, at those positions and show your versatility. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got a certain body type and you've got a certain skill set, and that needs to be bolstered and that needs to be reinforced. By playing, you know, one position and focus on him more. And I think that's inevitably what's going to happen in college. And, and if it goes to a school that really utilizes him and and goes with what he can do as a pass rusher and a defensive lineman and let him get stronger, gain that weight, and use that that finesse skill ability to be a good pass rusher, that's going to be where you see his ceiling the highest. So I look at him and Braylon Shelby as being pretty different football players. They're both rated as rush ends, but kind of different football players in terms of what they do on the field.
1: And Shelby, uh, very, very athletic, as as you mentioned. You know, he was also – he's kind of a dual-sport guy as well. Not kind of. He is a dual-sport sp- dual athlete, competes in on the track uh, in the triple jump, and he's been a uh, Texas qualifier as well. So, you know, that kind of matches these sort of player profiles that the defense and the whole coaching staff has gone after with these – multi-sport athletes uh, for this defense and this team in general. He, he's, he fills up the stat sheet. You know, last year he had 77 tackles, 12 tackles for a loss, eight sacks, five pass breakups, four forced pump fumbles, and had a pick six. So this guy just makes plays all over the field, and he's a really good get. And I know, Gerard, you had mentioned it last week, that this is one of the best guys on the board that USC could get and could add to this class. And, Gerard, that brings the class to 15. I'm feeling great for my number 16 uh, pick uh, for my number of 16 commits by the time the season opener, you're, you're getting there. You're three away. So I, th- I think, I think I'm going to get it. You are a little bit on the outside looking in. Okay. You, uh, you, I'm glad you don't have any money on this is, is, <laughs> is, all, is all I'm going to say.
0: I, did, I just, you know, you, 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 are you're, you're just uh, already taking your victory lap and uh, you know, what happens though, if they go one over, uh 16 you know
1: it's Oh, is that is that a bust it busts is that how we're doing it, <laughs> is it
0: yeah, we never went over
1: this we never we went over this. A,
0: little, a little blackjack here or i mean i don't know I, I all i know is you're already patting yourself on the back that's all i can
1: hear look all i'm saying is i feel great i feel great right now and usc fans feel great about this one mainly because it is a defensive front player and those are kind of the players that you know usc fans have been sort of pining for you know they get a lot of receivers. They got running backs. You know, cornerbacks, defensive backs, not really a worried, worried, worried position for them with Dante Williams back there. Those those linebackers, those edge rushers, those defensive linemen, those are kind of the ones they want to see on USC's board. And to get a guy like Braylon Shelby is huge. Obviously pair him with sort of the future and sort of Tackett Curtis as that Mike spot, that the future Mike backer for this defense. I think it's a great, great start. For you know this this linebacker core, this edge rushing core, this defensive front core. So another good pickup. You know we're looking into the horizon. You know there's there's some other guys who might come off the board soon. Alani Noah being one of them. And Gerard, this is another win. You know we're not going to get super into it because we still have to wait. We have to wait before we can truly break it down. But this is a win for the uh, the June uh, 16th mega weekend. You know, as Jalen yeah, uh, was on
0: that it, one. It, when everybody was ready to, you know, jump off a ledge there, you know, a few weeks after that weekend because uh, some of the bigger players that they had in, Lucas Simmons and Francis Malgoa, didn't commit to USC. And, obviously, there was a lot of talk of certain other guys going other places, you know, like Walker Lyons goes to Stanford. There were some guys that, you know, you thought USC had a good shot at that went elsewhere, but some of these guys where you're a little more on the fence and thinking, okay, you know this this might go uh, you know the other way against USC. Have committed to USC, and we've seen USC build some momentum here late. And and you also have Edric Hill floating around out there, who may make a decision pretty soon as well. And that would be, I mean, at this point, par for the course would really be allowing Noah uh, <laughs> going to Oregon and Edric Hill committing to USC. That that's kind of almost sort of how it's gone um, the past month or so in terms of you know, the guys are ending up at USC, away from USC. Uh, obviously, I mean, I think we felt like for the past couple weeks that Shelby was starting to trend more towards USC. So it wasn't a surprise, but after he took his Texas official visit, which was the last official visit that he took, you know, everybody felt like, okay, he's probably going to go to Texas. I think Texas uh, sources were very confident in that, but then, you know, it started to to, to stretch out a little more and you had Arch Manny commit and you had a little bit of uh, momentum building for them. And then there was nothing from Shelby and that certainly became uh, a little bit of a red flag for them. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're waiting to see uh, what happens with Sacramento grant offensive guard, uh, Alani Noah, uh, he's very close with uh, Micah Benuelos who committed uh, earlier to USC in July. And uh, we're going to see if uh, you know, That there's a little bit of a a package deal sort of thing going on there you know there was uh, a lot of uh, friendships made and there were some connections made with that group on the offensive line Uh, obviously you know with Francis him going to Miami that sort of breaks it up Uh, Lucas Simmons was there as well but you got the sense that with uh, Amos Talalele and uh, Micah Benuelos and now Alani Noah that those three that was sort of the interior group and there was there was a connection there, and um it, it'll be interesting to see like going forward, if that does not keep u s c with a foot in the door with Francis Margoa down the line um just because there seemed to be a bit of connection there with that group, a poly group, and um that would be you know pretty big for u s c to be able uh to at least uh get get to a point where they have you know the initial core of the offensive line committed coming out of the summer. And then you move forward and you still have to try to land one of those franchise-type offensive tackles, obviously. Gerard, is
1: it safe to call, or would you call, USC a hot team on the recruiting trail? Four commitments, they've won their last four battles, or, or guys that have been up for commitments, and over the last uh, like 25 days, so four commitments in twenty in about about a month. Would you consider them a hot team on the trail right now?
0: Warming up. You know, I don't know if I would say hot in this day and age when, you know, you've got your Miamis of the world just, you know, landing five stars consecutively. Um, I think they're warming up, certainly. And, you know, you want to see them be able to land uh, along Noah and, again, kind of get the core of that offensive line sort of settled. And then you see, okay, where can where can we go? Do we circle the wagons here on on one of these guys that is committed elsewhere? Do we continue uh, to try to to. To spin our wheels on Lucas Simmons or Francis Malgoa, or do we go in another direction and see if there's some other top rated offensive tackle that would like to take official visit to USC that hasn't previously really been seriously looking at USC? Um, so they have to make that determination. But I would say, yeah, I mean, USC certainly warmed up. You know, the Takis Curtis commitment was huge for them. We knew that uh, when it happened, that was one that you could easily see going, you know, Ohio State's way, and USC beat Ohio State and Wisconsin head-to-head for him. Here, USC beats Texas head-to-head, which has not happened in, since probably, what, like 2006 with Emmanuel Moody? I can't remember where USC was actually going head-to-head for a Texas kid against Texas and actually beat Texas out. So that's that's saying a lot. I mean, that's a big, big ask going against those two schools which have had a lot of recruiting success over the years. Texas obviously hasn't been as good over the past few years as a football program. So you're not necessarily uh, competing against the proven commodity that their coaching staff is or their program has been, like Ohio State or in Alabama. Uh, but nevertheless, you're talking about a, a Texas kid uh, that uh, Texas wants and they're pushing after hard. And so that, um, I think that's a big win for USC, just statement-wise. You know, They've gone and gotten two out-of-state recruits and they've gone head-to-head against the big boys, and they won out.
1: Technically three if we're counting Micah out of Washington.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, against Oregon. And, and Oregon, you know, we talked about it then, Oregon has been plaguing USC uh, yeah. head-to-head for offensive line recruits, and, and it's probably going to be another head-to-head battle with Alani Noah. Uh, it looked like Oregon was on the outs with him. They were pushing him to commit early, and he decided to balk on that, and it looked like Oregon wasn't going to really be involved. They were going to move on and maybe try to get somebody else. Uh, but they circled the wagons on that and said, hey, hey we really want you to come you uh, come in and take an official visit. And there was some talk that maybe, you know, they, they even used uh, Michael Benuelos to try to get Alani Noah to visit Oregon. So, you know, again, they have a pretty close relationship, and we'll see if that's uh, something that's going to help USC because Benuelos actually committed to USC.
1: So, nice little run here, Braylon Shelby. Huge pickup. You know, a guy who can have a huge senior season out there at Friendswood and see his stock even rise even more, maybe into the top 100 if he gets he gets another good season where he's uh, getting at that pass rusher, getting at that QB, excuse me. So, Gerard, I think that's going to wrap up our cold open with the Braylon Shelby talk. And it's time to get into something that a theme that we've talked about a lot On Composite Two-Star Recruits, I know it's a a topic that has, you know, gotten you off the rails sometimes. You know, we've gone into these different directions and had these sort of overarching themes when we talk about this. It being NIL, and we had a big NIL news break specifically for the Trojans this week, uh, which, you know, it's it's, it's what everyone's talking about this week outside of fall practice, and that is the Student Body Right Collective. News broke earlier this week, the LA Times did a story about how a collective, a quote-unquote official collective, if you will, we can talk a little bit more about that when we get into this, but a new collective is coming to USC, that is Student Body Right, that is the official name, uh, it's run by two, you know, USC superfans, uh, Dale Reck and Bill Haddon, I believe that that's the pronunciation, but they are the sort of faces of this new organization And, you know, there's a lot to talk about here, but this is something that's created sort of a interesting discussion with USC and obviously the Boulevard and their sort of collective plus status, because the big thing with this is that USC does not officially sort of support this new collective. This is something that they wanted to stay away from, because obviously the term collective has sort of this negative connotation It's obviously a. I would say a dirty word right now in the NIL and the college football athletics and what it could mean with the NCAA decides to maybe step in. So student body, right. You know, a little bit controversial right now, but I know some USC fans are really excited about it because, you know, USC has sort of been in the middle of the NIL space and not really knowing which direction they want to go in. Uh, Lincoln Riley has said as much where, Feels like they'd be positioned to go into a full kind of donor-based collective, or the more marketing thing, which is kind of what the Boulevard is. So right now we have these two 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 entities: Student Body Right, the Boulevard. They have different, you know, organizational things. They have different plans of operation, and we're going to get into those a little bit. But you have these two heavyweights right now looking at each other, Gerard, and you know, it kind of feels standoffish, just because you know USC is not officially supporting. Student body right. And I guess I just want to get what your kind of reaction is to this big uh, NIL update.
0: I don't know that I have a reaction. It's obviously an interesting situation that is unfolding because as we've sort of touched on in the past, there's been some frustration with USC in the NIL space. And that's not just come from the boosters, which is obviously resulted in this collective that is run by the donors and the boosters, but also from recruits and people from that side of the table. So this almost felt like an inevitability Mm -hmm. um, that there would be some, I don't want to know, I don't know if I would call them impatient, but there would be some boosters that want to have something that mirrors what other schools have, which has been successful Um, primarily in recruiting, you know, how successful it is or it isn't in terms of uh, paying players that are on the current college rosters is a little harder to tell the really only way to look at that would be with uh, the transfer portal and watching to see, you know, who's staying where and who's transferring where Um, I think that would dictate more of uh, players being unhappy, maybe, with potential NIL opportunities at one school over the other. But with recruiting, and and obviously this is a recruiting podcast, we've seen the emergence of the Texas A&M collectives, the Miami collectives, the Tennessee collective, uh, Michigan State, uh, and Oregon with uh, Division Street. There's a few different collectives which are run by the donors, and they have been at the forefront with recruiting and not just uh, the players on the football roster. Right. So the distinction here with student body right to how we understand it right now is that it's not going to be involved with recruiting, uh, at least out of the gates. Uh, their primary focus is going to be more towards uh, players who are going to be enrolled at USC. Now, that could still have obviously an impact on recruiting. We talked about this last week. There's been a bit of a divide between some of these schools that even have collectives. The ones that have come forward and want to pay players, recruits that is, up front for commitments with a potential contract for enrollment. So you're talking about recruits being paid money up front and that being something to lure them into a commitment which lures them into an eventual signing. Whereas other schools have decided, listen, we have NIL opportunities, we have money, we have contracts and things that you can be a part of, but you have to enroll in order to have uh, that opportunity and to be able to be paid by us, Uh, which would obviously fall more into the parameters of what the NCAA wants. Uh, But nevertheless, you have schools that are doing both. And so there's a little bit of this divide that's happening. There's a little bit of this sort of, you know, the schools that we've seen that have had a lot of success in recruiting, uh, you know, this cycle have been those who have been more aggressive. And the talk is that's because they're putting some money up front. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week. I'm not going to rehash uh, the pros and cons of that and, and how that eventually, um, you know, plays out with college football and the NCAA and uh, what their bylaws state and, and what the NCAA is even going to become here in the next few years. And, you know, what college football looks like in the next few years with all of this evolving, but certainly we've talked about how fluid this situation is. And I think just looking at Boulevard and the relationship with USC and what Boulevard has been, Kind of is emblematic emblematic of how fluid it is because Boulevard, you know, early on, it, it seemed like everybody involved with that, including USC uh, administration, stayed away from calling it a collective altogether. It was Good. not called a collective. I was told, you know, we're, this is not a collective. People were discouraged from looking at it or, or it being uh, passed off as a collective. It was something different.
1: It's a dirty word, Gerard. Dirty word.
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I would go that far. I I know that there is that connotation because of things that other schools are doing. But like I said, there are collectives that are not necessarily pushing the envelope on, you know, paying high school kids uh, before they actually enroll um, or, or paying them just specifically, To go to a certain school. Like all of these things are really not legal if you look at what the NCAA bylaws are and what the NCAA has stated forward. Um, So, you know, Boulevard has been far from that. And certainly it's been something unique unto itself. But then just recently, uh, the LA Times had tweeted something about the Boulevard not being a collective, basically correcting someone and then only to be corrected by. Uh, The head of Boulevard, Mike Jones, saying it's a common misconception, but the Boulevard is a collective, but it's a collective plus. Now, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Right. So and I've been paying attention. That's the first time I've ever heard that. So we're already seeing an evolution even of the Boulevard. And that is obviously moving more towards the collective idea and concept and maybe less away from this agency concept, which originally – that's how I feel it was being a soul. Now, maybe that's just my misconception, but, you know, I'm a recruiting writer. I do this. If I'm mis- if I'm confused by it, then guess what? <laughs> a lot of people are probably confused by it. And it's easy to be confused because, like I said, it's fluid. There's a lot of moving parts to NIL and USC is doing a good job trying to position themselves in this. And I totally understand. Boulevard and the concept and why USC would go in that direction. Now, it's very unique. And I think it's probably not a great sign that no other schools have really adopted that. I mean, you can look at it two ways, right? You can look at it one way and say, well, you know what? USC is being innovative. They're being a catalyst. And they're coming up with a new idea to do something different that's still effective. That's great. That's fantastic. And I think that's kind of Brandon Sosna's baby. I'm sure Brandon and Spencer Harris and those guys that were there in the personnel office, they, they kind of were coming up with something knowing that NIL was coming. And I think being proactive in that space is, is, is great. I mean, that's what you want to see as a Trojan fan, but then you kind of wait and wait and wait and you're looking around nationally to go, okay, it's nobody else doing it that way. You know, <laughs> everybody else kind of seems to be going towards the donor booster leg collectives because Probably that's just the most efficient way to get the money to the players. You know, you've got the people with the checkbooks that are kind of running the show, and there's not this middleman. However, the good part about Boulevard, and this is why I think USC took this approach, is because there is a buffer there. And if you're going by what the NCAA says and wants, and you're interpreting their rules uh, more literally, then you don't want your boosters and your donors directly involved with business deals with your players and certainly not with recruits. That's against NCAA rules, but it just seems like the climate is the rules that are now will no longer be. And I think everybody kind of feels like this thing is changing. It's changing quickly. And all those interpretations are archaic. And that's just not how college football is going to be in the future.
1: And, yeah, you're right. In terms of, you know, the NCAA rules and stuff, uh, Dale and Bill, who were recently on uh, the Peristyle podcast, they did an interview with Ryan. And you can listen to that anywhere, you know, you download this podcast. You likely already heard it. But if you haven't, that's a really good interview. should check that out. They talk a lot about a lot about the, uh, the origins of this this thing and kind of why they decided to get it going now. And they answer some questions from that Peristyle member suggested or or, or wrote in, so go check that interview out. Uh, It's up there right now. You can check it out, download it, after you finish this one, of course. Uh, But yeah, they really kind of stressed Dale and Bill that they would quote, like, never reach out to a high school prospect. This is only for academically eligible current players, and there is a quid pro quo for for this sort of, quote-unquote, base salary that they're hoping to to build with this collective, pay every player, including walk-ons, this sort of base salary. But they must provide – the players must provide NFL services to kind of be compensated for this base pay, whether that be, you know, uh, community service. I think that was a big one they really hit on. They want these players to sort of be part of the community and to get out out there in the community. And these guys were really hitting on the fact that they are doing everything kind of by the book. As it's outlined by the NCAA and their sort of instructions for NIL and, and that such and mainly NIL for the NCAA is concerned, kind of kind of throws it down to the state, uh, the individual state laws, which is something kind of we've talked about and how you know laws are changing at the state level to kind of maybe protect against future NIL legislation. But uh, these guys were talking about how they they everything they did for this collective or they will be doing for this collective because it's not it's not expected to hit until or be a thing really until 2023. That's when it's supposed to be up and running officially. But it's all based off, you know, the California law, the the fair to the fair play to play act that was passed uh, by Gavin Newsom in California. So everything there and this collective is kind of based on that in in terms of their interpretation of the rules laid out by that piece of legislation. So for them, you know, their mission here is to kind of take care of the kids. They want them to be part of the Trojan family, and again, they really hit that this is for players enrolled and not for student athlete. Uh, this is not what we're doing in terms of you know, you know, going after high school recruiting or high school prospects. So they kind of drew that line in the sand about what this thing actually is, and obviously we're going to see you know how that gro- grows and continues, especially in 2023 when this happens, but. As I mentioned, the most interesting thing about this, I feel like, is that you know USC is not on board with this. Uh, Mike Bone, uh, athletic director, was kind of uh, LA Times for their story, they reached out to him to get sort of uh, a reaction or a quote from him. And his reaction, this was his direct reaction: "Quote earlier this year, USC worked with State Data to create Boulevard LLC." an agency and media company that provides NIL services to all USC student athletes. USC is not aware of a former donor-created NIL collective. We ask any donors who would like to support USC's athletes through NIL to please work with Boulevard so that all activities are conducted in compliance with state laws and NCAA rules. So, you know, kind of reading between the lines here, it's like, Mike Bone, USC is not really – it's, it, they're kind of acting like, you know, stay, student body right isn't a thing. Now, does he act, is he actually not aware of a formal donor based NIL collective? I wouldn't go that far as the AD of USC. I'm sure this was on his radar, but it is an interesting quote to kind of put out there in terms of steering people to the boulevard and, you know, wanting to be compliant or with the state laws and in civil rules and all that kind of such. So it's sort of, we have it written down here as sort of NIL civil war because now we have these two bodies that are kind of going to be looking at each other from across the way student body right versus boulevard what's right what's going to work what's going to end up being the true collective in the the USC space whether that's a true collective or the NIL plus with the boulevard
0: the thing that you hope doesn't happen is there's some type of civil war that goes on here between the donor base which you know, student body right was, from my understanding, being promoted and backed by Brian Kennedy.
1: Right. He is, more, he is involved. He is he is yeah, on record as being involved. Yeah.
0: Uh, being one of the more outspoken boosters for USC. So that's interesting, you know, that he wouldn't see the model that Boulevard has. And as we said before, the business model for Boulevard has changed. It's not right. what it was at its outset. And so it, it has evolved and it has evolved probably because of some of this pressure and, and, and some of the, um, boosters not maybe feeling like it's a, an efficient enough model. And so that's going to be something to watch carefully. Um, are we going to see a, a watered down effort because you have, different factions of the donor base backing you know one or the other uh is it good because you have those options um does boulevard become better because of student body right or do they again sort of um divide the booster base to some extent and again yeah i think that's with mike bones comment more of a, a shot over the bow in my mm-hmm. opinion i mean mm-hmm. i i don't think you can be unaware of this going on um, now, USC supposedly had another collective type of uh, donor alumni-run organization with NIL that was going on with Sam Baker and Frosty Rucker for Lyman, and we haven't heard much about that lately. And you actually, Chris, got wind of that very early on. And I don't know if that was just discouraged by USC and they decided not to do it, or where that currently stands, but. It is interesting that USC wants to sort of go through boulevard. And I think part of this is also USC being USC. Uh, They want to control the money to a certain extent. And I've heard frustrations with that from boosters and even coaches in the past. Not so much with this administration, but in the past that has been an issue. And that's been an issue of middlemen, administrators getting involved. And that money dispersing and kind of getting lost in the system and not necessarily going specifically to what the boosters want to see that money go towards. And again, I'll bring up the Phil Knight expose that Oregon Live did, which talked about how he wrote checks and how he got things done with the athletic department in Oregon and how involved he was. And it was not a matter of him writing a $10 million check and saying, OK, here you go, uh, Joe Blow, administrator. Uh, you know, I want this to go towards uh, the basketball program. And it, it, you know, $6 million of it goes towards the basketball program and $4 million just gets kind of lost into the system. And that's the sort of bureaucracy that you work, you you, you have to deal with, with universities, Um, more state universities and private run universities, but nevertheless, you got a lot of people there. And I think with Phil Knight, he learned early on, I'm going to make sure I'm going to walk this check (laughs) to the person that I want to cash it. And I think that may be some of where you get uh, the boosters wanting to run their own show, because at the end of the day, if they have an opportunity to uh, support the program, but do it more directly and it's within NCAA guidelines, they're probably going to take that route because these are private sector businessmen. Okay, these are people that they don't work for the government, they don't work for the state, they don't work for bureaucracies. They don't have patience for that. So, I understand sort of that attitude as, you know, listen, this is my money and I want it to go to this specific place. I want to make sure it goes to this specific place. I'm not going to spend, you know, a million dollars uh and, you know, have half of it or 30% of it just sort of end up, you know, somewhere else. That it was not the intention. That was I, not what it was originally for. So, can I
1: can I read the LA Times quote that deals directly with this? Yeah, go ahead. And like you were just talking about, you know, but this is a quote from the LA Times story. But the Boulevard presentations also raised concerns from some donors about where the money would be allocated. As explained during the meeting, only fifty percent of any given donation would be allocated where the donor chose, while the other fifty set fifty percent would be set aside in Boulevard's general fund to be allocated however Boulevard saw fit. And that's sort of kind of what you've mentioned with this whole your Phil Knight uh, story and analogy that they want to know where that money goes. They don't want to just be write the check and forget about it. They want to see it wherever that may be.
0: Yeah, and Boulevard has employees. It has overhead. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a company, right? And, And again, I think from USC's point of view, that's a good buffer uh, between boosters and players and recruits, et cetera. Um, it, it, it provides them uh, a bit of cover to say, listen, you know, anything that's done, um, it was done with an objective group that was not just trying to manipulate or do something which is against NCAA rules, which is that, that word that we always use, inducement. Okay, that's what you want to stay away from at this point in time. Maybe it's not like that in the future, but at this point in time, inducement is, a, is the dirty word. That's yep. what you can't do. You can't say, here's a bunch of money as a recruit. If you go to this school, if you start at this school, if you become an All-American at this school, we'll give you a bonus. That is inducement to get that recruit to go to that specific school, and that is still against the NCAA rules. But, yeah, there are differences between student body rights. And their difference between boulevard now that 50 percent, to my knowledge and i'm only going by what discussions i've seen about it on the message board recently has been taken down i believe to, to zero i i don't think that's a that's a that's a thing anymore or or is it maybe just less now i haven't kept up with the numbers but as i said boulevard is evolving you know there's there's right. some things at the outset this is how the business model looked and yeah you know and the the money was not uh, probably being funneled quite the way that the people that were writing the checks wanted it to be, and so they've adjusted with that, so um they've been flexible enough they're they're kind of trying to learn and trying to probably work with these donors because that's ultimately what makes it go you know the donors are what makes it go, especially at a private school like u s c where you're not getting a bunch of state funding
1: and Kind of something that Dale and uh, Bill talked about on Student Body Right is that they don't really have overhead like the boulevard. They kind of said that, you know, anytime they needed something within this donor base, someone has done a pro bono. You know, obviously, there's a lot of smart, wealthy uh, donors with a lot of time on their hands to offer their expertise and skills. So that's sort of kind of what it's been like, at least for early on for for Student Body Right. And we'll see if that continues um, with with SBR in the future, but I kind of wanted to ask because this is kind of a thing that's popping up with these new collectives and something that as uh, student body right is doing is, is, you know, applying for nonprofit status, uh, 501c nonprofit, uh, accreditation. I don't know if I, if that's the right term accreditation, but that's something they're, they're, I believe they've applied for and trying to, you know, add to their, their resume for this thing. So how do you see kind of that? that, that route affecting student body, right. You know, as it goes uh, against maybe not against, but alongside Boulevard, which is a profit organization.
0: Well, again, right now, because things are so fluid and moving so fast, it's a guerrilla war. It's not a conventional war. In other words, it, it, you have to be mobile and you have to be flexible and it's probably a little tougher for a, uh, uh, a corporation, a company that, that does other things as well, um, to move as fast as a group of guys who that's their money, right? It's like, you can call whoever and say, Hey, you know, this is a group, uh, we have this money. Um, listen, we, we need to make this move now because you know, this, this, this is what we need to do financially there's to no make red an impact tape. for the team, right? There's no red tape. There's no, um, you know, the protocols are, are really stripped down. Now, in the future, it may benefit, and this is kind of what USC again. We, I, I I keep going back to things I've already said in the past, but it's good to try to try to bring those ideas back to you know the the, the current state because you know things have changed a little bit. But USC wants to sort of look at this long term. This has always sort of been long game for USC when it comes to Boulevard and. You know, they're going to suffer to some extent with that if that's the only approach that they take because you do have these other schools that are being much more aggressive. They're being, uh, they're, they're taking more risks if you believe that the NCAA is going to come in and they're going to actually review any of this stuff. Um, and they're going to actually try to penalize teams that may have been walking the line on that, that nasty word inducement, right? I mean, if you're paying kids up front to go to a school, relocate their families and say, here's, you know, let's just say $50,000 up front, it's probably a lot more than that. Uh, and, and then we'll give you such and such million dollars when you actually enroll. I mean, that's absolutely inducement. There's no way around it. There's no way that that agreement, whether it's on paper or not, <laughs> it, it cannot be, you're giving that money to go to this school. We're not just giving you $50,000 because we think you're a really good player. And, you know, we want you to sign some monographs. It's, you know, to go to specific school. And like I said before, and I don't want to rehash the whole conversation we had about it, but I don't see where collectives would have any legal backing truly in that situation if a kid decided to decommit and take that upfront money and say, go kick rocks. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to take them to civil court. and If you take them to civil court, all of that financial information is going to be on the table for the NCAA to review so, again, now their long game look may be that the NCAA isn't going to z- exist in three or four years. You know, like what what, what investigation and what actual case will ever be filed and, and will ever go to a point where you get to the committee of infractions when the NCAA is not going to be uh, the NCAA in the future? Okay, that might be the long game that Miami and Tennessee and Texas A&M and those schools are looking at, whereas USC is looking at the long game with the NCAA still in mind. So that's kind of sort of the difference between some of these schools and their approach to all of this. But when it comes to Boulevard versus um, the collective SBR, certainly SBR is going to be able to move faster and quicker. And mean, the money is with the people that are making the decisions, whereas Boulevard, they don't have the money. They They are there to create a model or a format for getting the money to the players. So, yeah, there's a gap there. There's a certain gap there. And so SBR will be able to move quicker and faster. Granted, it's not going to be up and running uh, this year. So we'll see. There's a long ways to you know to go between now and 2023. And again, USC, university-wise, seems to be discouraging this. Now, are they discouraging this publicly so they have an out in case um, collectives and that approach are deemed uh, to break rules by the NCAA? And they can say, listen, we tried you know, we have uh, deniability here because we were not involved with this directly, or is it actual, we want to go through Boulevard for whatever reasons, um, you know, for us just as a university, uh, we're more comfortable with these people. And this is sort of a, a, a something, I mean, I, I don't know financially if USC gets anything out of Boulevard, if there's any investment with them and stayed out uh, it that's, that's, you know, not to my knowledge, but, Again, I mean, there may be an actual reason why USC says, no, this is this is what we're doing. It may change. Boulevard may become something completely different, but it's going to be Boulevard. That is going to be whatever deals with NIL, no matter what. You know, I just we're not necessarily sure how that plays out. It's certainly um, it's something that, again, is happening uh, in a in a in a space that is just moving so quickly.
1: I guess we can we're sort of winding down on this student body discussion and Boulevard discussion. But I guess my final sort of thing to look at, um, whether that it be in the future, you know, three years from now, five years from now, for what, or six six months from now, I don't know. We don't know. But do you think NIL, I guess specifically USC's NIL strategy, do you think that these two bodies can coexist together you think they could merge at some point or is it like a monopoly and only one can kind of survive this war?
0: Well, um, that's, that's a, that's a good question. And that, and that kind of, I, I touched on that a little bit, you know, you don't want to see a civil war mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Uh, boosters who feel like, well, no, you need we, a united
1: front. You don't want a fractured donor base. or whatever.
0: Exactly. You don't want, you know, some boosters saying, well, no, this is the way it should be. And, and I talked to this guy at Boulevard and he says, you know, that's, that's not legal. That's going to get USC in trouble. And then the other guys are like, well, no, we don't, we don't agree with that. And we don't think that the NC, this is not illegal. And our interpretation is different than USC compliance uh, interpretations, because God knows when it comes to NCA interpretations, every freaking <laughs> school on the effing planet has a different interpretation of everything. So, you know, and I, I, and that, that, in, that in and of itself, is just frustrating for me as a reporter, because, you know, we do things all the time at USC and there's, things that we can't do that other reporters at other schools can do. And it's just like, how, how do those rules, how can they be interpreted? Like what is, there should be no interpretation man. you run a red light, you ran a damn red light. That is it. There's no interpretation to that. And yet it seems with NCAA bylaws, there's plenty of room for interpretation. And that's another issue with this. Not only are we doing uh, dealing with something new and, and something that from a litigation standpoint is all over the place um, just the schools themselves how they're interpreting these things clearly from a compliance standpoint USC feels more comfortable with the communication and relationship that they have with Boulevard now Boulevard is not a part of USC originally when it was uh, created it sort of seemed like it was a program within USC but it's not and Boulevard is uh, like we said it's a subsidiary of Stay Doubted, which interestingly enough, I never heard of Stay Doubted until after I heard of Boulevard, but Stay Doubted is the parent company. So Stay Doubted does other things. Um, so again, from a buffer standpoint, it's definitely much safer approach for USC to do things through that. Now, I would say in terms of coalescing, um, you know, if SBR is focused on the student athlete that's at USC – I think from a compliance standpoint, that is a a bit more straightforward. You know, what you can and can't do and dealing with compliance at USC, I think, will be a little more straightforward. Recruiting is where it gets real, real murky. That's where things get really vague and ambiguous and all the different characters within a recruitment that you have to deal with and you're dealing with kids. That might be better for Boulevard. Uh, from the approach of, you know, better safe than sorry and making sure that things are done a certain way and, and more recruits need the actual branding. Um, you know, certainly there are those guys like Malachi Nelson and Nicholas Harbour. The top five star guys are going to have agents and they're going to have agency representation and they're going to have a team of people around them that will help them build their brand. They don't need that from Boulevard, but there are plenty of other guys like Alani Noah, like Grant Bucky, uh, like even maybe even Taka Curtis that could benefit quite a a, a lot from a company that not only helps them land NIL, but helps them uh, make themselves a a better brand ambassador for, for more deals and sort of coaches them up on how to do that. Now, you know, that takes a lot, and it takes some time. It takes um, some coaching, and and I don't know how in-depth Boulevard gets with that, but certainly from the recruiting standpoint, and and not to say that that's lost on certain players, um, you know, I think Shotgun pointed out at practice, uh, the first practice when you guys uh, spoke to the team, and Tuli Pulotu talked a little bit after practice and he has been a guy that's just a man of few words. You know, he's not su- super comfortable with talking to the media and never has been. But Shaka said, you know, it seemed like he was really working on that. Now, I, I don't want to give credit to Boulevard, you know, when I don't know that they help with that. But that's something that I could see them doing. And I could see them helping some of those players up, just become a little more comfortable on camera and knowing the responsibilities and an accountability that you have to have when you have partnerships. Um, This is something that's very big. And again, it's big for players on the team, but it's also huge for recruits who are on, on social media and can say stupid shit. And that stuff can hurt you with people that are paying you money. You lose sponsorships overnight if you say dumb things on social media. Maybe you get on there and you're like, hey man, I love this, lap, this rap lyric. And you put that up there out of context which kids do all the time. And it's just a bad look. It's not something that that company wants to be associated with. And so they need education from that front as to how to conduct yourself, how to handle yourself uh, in the public eye, because now you are a professional and you are making money as a professional. So people are going to start looking at you like that, regardless of whether you're 34 or you're 24 or you're 17.
1: 34, was that a reference to Ben Griffiths?
0: That was a reference to, you know, (laughs) the differences between people and their maturity levels. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think if you're looking at how they can coalesce and work, I I do feel like Boulevard offers uh, certain things as a collective plus. And I think the plus is the fact that they are sort of an agency um, that can brand build and they're not just like here is a check for however much money to go to this school. That's that's not what they're doing. What they're offering is an ability to make more money down the line, you know, more money, not just, you know, now, not just three years from now. But potentially, if you had that ability to go to the NFL, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of tools that we can give you to make you even bigger down the line. You know, you could be ne- the next Juju Smith. And so that's something that is big. And I think on the recruiting front is probably a, a, a tool that Boulevard has it, certainly SBR does not have. And SBR, like I said, at this point, is not uh, being involved or approaching the recruiting process whatsoever. They're saying that they're going uh, to uh, reinforce the financial backing and support of players that are on the team. Uh, words Boulevard uh, will certainly, I, I have to assume, be involved somewhat with uh, the recruiting process I mean I know talking to Nel, uh, Malachi Nelson's people that they've talked to, to some of the boulevard people and there's been you know conversations there and I, I think that's something that Boulevard offers from the recruiting standpoint uh, that collectives do not you know it's a, it's a bigger picture sort of deal but like I said it is for I think a majority of recruits but the guys that are getting paid the big money the five-star guys the top 100 guys maybe not as much because uh a good chunk of those guys are going to end up having their own people that want to do their own thing and have their own ideas about how to brand build.
1: So I think that's a good place to end for our talk on NIL collectives, student body, right Boulevard, and hopefully not an NIL civil war. I just want to give a quick shout out to the Parasol user. I am to Trojan who had a really nice, concise uh summarization of Sunabody Wright right and uh boulevard that we use as sort of a uh, a talking point uh for our our docket here uh for the show so shout out i am to trojan on the peristyle for a nice succinct succinct write-up of the two uh collectives uh nil and et- its entities uh gerard i think we should hit on a couple more things before we take our break
0: Okay, whatever uh, we can go straight through, man. We don't need a break, buddy. We don't need oh, it. Oh,
1: this is, oh yeah, okay.
0: We can do two oh, days. Oh, okay. okay? okay. We do, are those outlawed yet? Are those outlawed? Those are outlawed. Days? I don't think
1: you can do two right, right. any days anymore, man. Do you have any good two-a-day stories?
0: Do you have any good two-a-day stories? Let's just keep talking over each other so we can hear each other.
1: I, I was saying, <laughs> do you have any good two-a-day stories?
0: Uh no not any come on anything. hurricane I just I just remember I just remember sleeping in the gym I, we had three days we had three days <laughs> in high school we had the morning practice which started at seven which was way too early to be practicing football on wet grass in the ie uh, and that humidity picks up as the heat picks up and then we come out and we do special team practices in the middle of the day like at noon and it wasn't terrible, but, I mean, you're running up and down kickoff. It kind of sucked. You had then,
1: specific special teams practice? What are you, Clay Helton yeah, run team? Yeah,
0: we, we did. Yeah, John Baxter was our special teams <laughs> coach. Okay. We came out there with uh, crash test dummies and flags and all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, so we had, like, an hour and a half special teams, unlike uh, in, in the heat of the day. And then we come back out at, like, I think it was 6, 630 for our, our evening practice, which was always the best. You know, practicing under the lights is freaking awesome. Uh, especially during the summer it's still warm outside and stuff so yeah th- those are cool and then you you know you go you try to go to sleep you know sleeping in the gym in your sleeping bag and uh and then you wake up uh if, if we watch you know of course the program you know we want have some type of movie <laughs> and i i remember for the plug for the for the projector was always like in the back by the door and people always you know like Want to loiter outside for whatever reason, even though it was still freaking you know eighty-five degrees outside and it was cool in the gym. Everybody always just had to do that. It was just you know we're teenagers, we're kids. Nobody's just gonna lay down and watch a movie. You so want to
1: loiter. Every teenager want a wants to loiter. A loiter. We'd
0: just go out the, 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 the you know at the door and hang out over there, and and the stupid plug was always there, and people would always <laughs> kick it, and you would just get so hazed <laughs> if you kick if you knock that plug out, even though there's only five people probably watching the movie. Oh, man, you would just get hazed by uh, by pillows, and uh, maybe there might be a soap bar in that pillow or something. So hazing was still a thing back then for us, but, and you'd wake up way too early, and they'd have pancakes, uh, make a bunch of giant pancakes for us, and then, you know, back out there, and inevitably, somebody would be puking up their creatine uh, from, uh, you know, the morning practice, and uh, that's how it went. It, it was just, that, uh, there was no, I don't remember any, like, stories, I just remember, that you remember me. the feelings.
1: You remember the experiences. The feeling yeah, The, yeah.
0: the, nauseous okay. feeling you the get. nostalgia.
1: The nostalgia. <laughs> From the very heat, good. The,
0: humidity, the heat exhaustion.
1: Yep. Very good. Very good. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more of that when we get to our uh, USC practice observations, which we're going to end with sort of before questions. But you mentioned a five star and the kind of these five star guys uh, when we're talking about our NIL stuff. So that's a good transition to our kind of talking point with Mateo U- Ugiangal. Uh,
0: God, now you're going to make me say it wrong. Yeah. If you say that. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know what it is. Like when DJ was at Bosco, I like specifically was like on it. And now that it's Mateo, I don't know why. I just can't. I'm
0: Probably in my own head. I got
1: the yips about it. I can't say it.
0: The pronunciation is kind of changed. I remember talking to his dad, Dave, <laughs> okay. back when DJ was a freshman and he was with Winter Circle and we're like, uh, it might even been Keely me and I don't know, maybe it's somebody else. I, I can't remember. It was like the group of us and we were at a USC. I think it was a camp and his dad was kind of talking to us. And he was just like um, you know, giving us the pronunciation. And I felt like it was different then. The pronunciation was not Ungalale, but Ungalale is what they're going with on ABC these days and ESPN. And when they when DJ's playing for Clemson, it's Ungalale, so it's like, all right, it's Ungalale now. So that's 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 what I'm going with.
1: Okay, well, this is sort of maybe a time to kind of update USC fans on his recruitment. Uh, obviously USC has been a big player for him but Ohio state may be kind of trending in the direction for the big five-star edge out of St. John Bosco.
0: Yeah. Ohio state uh, has been actually trending for a few weeks now. Um, And that's been more from that side of the country. And, you know, with the recruiting process and official visits and, you know, everybody thinks everybody's getting everybody. It's kind of hard to, um, to decipher, you know, what's, what's true and, and what's just uh, optimism. Uh, But I've, heard, you know, more recently on this side of the country now that uh, Ohio State is a very big player for Mateo Ingele. And, um, you know, USC is not the big leader that a lot of USC sources feel they are. Um, USC, uh, from the people we've spoken to for, you know, really the past six months have been very, very confident that Mateo Ngale will end up at USC. And I'm not saying that it's not true. It's just uh, from somebody uh, pretty close. Uh, to the situation that is not uh, a USC fan or a USC booster or Ohio State fan or Ohio State booster or any coach uh, for either program, um, somebody pretty objective said that he uh, didn't think he's going to end up at USC. And so uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, that's, uh, again, you know, we've seen this um, this summer be pretty pretty strange, uh, pretty, pretty hard to predict in terms of uh, where guys have ended up. You know, I mean, there's certainly been some guys that USC has got uh, landed as commitments that you would think, ah, you know what, that's probably going to go away from them. And then there's some guys that you thought that they had a really good shot at that ended up going elsewhere. So um, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, it may not be something that happens here in the near future. Uh, we'll kind of, you know, it's open ended uh, from everything that we've heard uh, with Mateo Ungolile. Um, But certainly, you know, I, I think USC still has to be in it. I, I think, as I said before, with Mateo, I think football is not the end all be all for him like it was with DJ. I think with DJ, it was about going and winning football games and player development, and that's why he went, you know, to Clemson. Uh, I think he also wanted to get away from home too. Uh, But but football was definitely a bigger factor for him. I think with Mateo, there's a lot uh, off the field that he's looking at, and so um, yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I have to sort of check in with some other sources you know, to kind of, uh, see if anything has changed, uh, with them, but, um, yeah, pretty good source was, 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 uh, not, uh, very high on USC's chances right now felt like it was Ohio state, uh, maybe even Oregon, uh, USC may be running third. So something, uh, you know, worth just putting out there. I know it's going to cause uh, chaos, and, and, um, you know, a bunch of chicken littles on on the message boards. But uh Yeah, how do you feel about
1: ruining everyone's Friday who listened to this? How do you feel I mean, about it? Are you proud, yeah, of, yourself? Are you proud again, of yourself? Again,
0: hurricane? I mean it's it's one source, but it's it's definitely a, a source worth um you know, it certainly raised my eyebrow like, wow, I I have not heard that before. Um well I have. I again I, I have, but it's been from you know, sources that you kinda go, well, okay, they would they would think that. They they would probably have that opinion. Um this is the first time I've heard it from someone who, like I said, is, is really doesn't have a dog in the fight in terms of where he goes.
1: Well, like you said, uh, Mateo has a lot of aspirations kind of off the field, outside of football. That would be young concrete. And again, I just come back to it and like, how could you be young concrete and not see the Dr. Dre school and be like, yeah, this is the place for me. But again... Can't look at it logically sometimes, Gerard. Can't look yeah, at it logically. Yeah, that's
0: that's us projecting. You know, the sort of checklist that these kids talk about and, and the things that they've said publicly, like with Josh Connolly Jr. And you sort of project. Well, yeah, I mean it makes sense, but then they do something completely different. So, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, I, again, this is this is not like a, a prediction or or any uh, finality to this. Um, Chris has his own sources as well And he spends a lot of time at Bosco Because he doesn't live very far from Bosco So, you know I live live, at Bosco He lives at Bosco So, um, I mean, Jason Negro actually got you your job um, And you still haven't even bought the guy a beer for it Like, wow (laughs) First of all,
1: it was a steak (laughs) dinner Your sources are probably really good right now It was a steak dinner And you're right I absolutely still have to do that So Shout-out to Jason Negro, head coach, St. John Bosco. We still have to get that stake together. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. I profusely apologize. But, yes, we'll we'll try to get a more official update from Mateo the man himself because I'm sure I'm going to be out at one of their summer practices once again uh, in uh, in the near future. In the near future. Uh, I guess that, that's a good way to kind of transition into more defensive line news. You know, Mateo being an edge – USC did have an interesting new offer out in the 2023 class for Caleb Bryant, a a three-star uh, defensive lineman, 6'3", 250 pounds, out of Vicksburg, Mississippi. Actually, a Utah commit, been committed uh, since the summer, and this is an interesting offer. They actually gave him the official offer. I think he posted that uh, earlier this morning, but number 506 in the 247 composite. Number, number 60 defensive lineman in the 24-7 composite. Number 86 uh, overall defensive lineman in our uh, two four seven sports rankings. You know, got power fives from uh, Nebraska, Mississippi State, uh, Miami, Missouri, uh, Oregon has an offer in there. So he has some interesting power five offers, you know, some schools. A lot of them, I guess the early, o- early on ones were, you know, H- HBCUs, Alabama A&M, kind of schools like that. We're on him, but he's kind of kind of took a step up as a power five prospect. And, you know, you got to love, you know, Utah's eval of him. Utah puts out some some good hard nosed defensive linemen. So he's good enough for Utah. You know, I think a lot of schools are going to come looking a little bit more at this kid. So Caleb Bryant, new addition to the defensive line board for Sean Newell.
0: That's a hell of a segue too, right after uh talking about Mateo Ungalale. <laughs> there are gonna be some people connecting the dots on that one, Mr. Look, look,
1: look, look, I just read what's on the docket.
0: <laughs> I just
1: read what's on the docket, hurricane.
0: Yeah, Terrence Green says hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, so 6'3", 250 pounds, defensive lineman. Um, you know, Mikhail is about six four, probably two sixty, two seventy. Um I have not seen much of Caleb Bryant. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch his film to see uh, what type of player he is. But Utah from Vicksburg, Mississippi, very, you know, strange sort of uh, right. commitment there. Took his only official visit during the summer to Utah. So stands to reason, you know, they built a good relationship with him, got him out on that official visit. Didn't really have a lot of power five offers, so he committed to Utah. I don't know what Mississippi State and Mississippi are doing, kind of asleep at the wheel, potentially. Or maybe they've just evaluated the kid and they they know more than Utah does. But uh, very interesting. Uh, USC comes in with the scholarship offer uh, as well as Oregon. Oregon followed the next day with a scholarship offer as well. And that's actually where Terrence Green, 6'5", 265-count defensive end, ended up. Remember, Terrence Green uh, had his uh, visit canceled to USC Mm -hmm, during the mm -hmm. summer um, some uh, interesting moves there where USC felt pretty confident about Grant Bucky. Um, but here we have another defensive lineoff for a 6'3", 250, similar body types. Again, I haven't really seen Caleb Bryant much on film to really say what type of player he is. Is he uh, an actual hybrid guy? Probably not. He's rated as a defensive lineman, so you're probably not going to see much two-point stance from him. Uh, but another guy that's sort of that defensive end interior which potentially, you know, could put probably 20 pounds, uh, 30 pounds on him and he'll be 280. So, uh, yeah, kind of an interesting move for USC uh, to offer him a scholarship. Uh, I believe one of the new administrators that they brought in uh, is from Mississippi State. So that's correct. Potentially, you know, there's some some avowal there. But um, to my knowledge, I mean, Mississippi State has not offered Caleb Bryant a scholarship. Am I correct about that or am I wrong about that?
1: I I believe it says I believe it says they've offered him
0: they've offered uh, him? okay yeah it says they offered said, that. okay so, so it says he has okay so the full view on his recruitment which i don't know why this reads this way but utah and, and nebraska are really the only schools at the very top and then it's a bunch of like alabama a&m alabama state alcorn state um probably because utah and nebraska were the only schools that were actively recruiting him um we've seen this many times where schools offer scholarships to kids and then they don't even talk to them like the next week it's just you know scholarship offers don't really mean a whole lot there's a lot of kids out there that have Alabama scholarship offers that never spoke to Alabama um, past you know the, the the conversation they had with a a position coach you know the week they got the scholarship and, and never spoke to Dick Saban and never visited etc so i mean technically officially it has on his uh, profile uh, Miami Mississippi State, Missouri. Um, let's see, another Power Five school would be that's mm-hmm. it. That's his Power Five school. In fact, he didn't even have an offer from Nebraska here, but Nebraska for some reason. Well, wait, nope, telling a lie. Nebraska is actually listed twice in his profile. Somebody is not paying attention to um, this uh, this profile very well. I'm sorry, it's
1: probably it's probably me. He actually had two crystal balls for the Bulldogs. That was about two months before he actually committed to Utah. So
0: yeah, U- we're going to have to get some backstory on, on this kid and and, and sort of uh, what all happened there with his scholarship offers. And and he never took an official visit to Mississippi State. So that sort of tells me something that they were slow playing him probably. Uh, and uh, Utah was aggressive. They went out and they got him. So, you know, cer- certainly the, the local SEC schools could circle the wagons on him. Uh, the Oregon offer is new. So certainly they like him and they're, you know, deciding they're going to make a move on him. Um, So we'll see how that develops.
1: 78 tackles last season, 14 tackles for a loss and 11 sacks, two forced fumbles. He has 30 tackles for a loss and 20 sacks in his last two seasons. So very productive player. And I guess we can just keep sort of defensive line news rolling because uh, 2023 Kansas City, Missouri defensive lineman, four star prospect Edrick Hill actually put USC among his top Six lists along with Alabama, LSU, Missouri, uh, Oklahoma, and Oregon. So, you, uh, Hale did take an official visit to USC this summer. He also took a visit to LSU and Alabama. So, sounds like he's winding down in his uh, recruitment. Six on the board, number one eighty-seven in the twenty-four-seven Sports composite, number twenty-seven defensive lineman, number forty-five defensive lineman in the twenty-four-seven Sports rankings. Alabama has the two crystal ball projections, six foot three, 290-pound defensive lineman at a North Kansas City high school, Edrick Hill. And that was sort of felt like a last-minute kind of addition for USC in their summer official visit uh, uh, list.
0: Yeah, and a guy that uh, is completely off the grid in terms of um, doing interviews or talking to the media or knowing kind of what's going on with him. Uh, I don't know. If uh, anybody has actually even spoken to him since he officially visited USC, we tried, and we tried, and we tried, and I called the kid, but you know, just uh, doesn't really like to talk very much. Um, and so, Alabama's there. He did take a visit to Alabama. I don't know if that was an official visit. Uh, I have to look at his profile to see what his official visit, doc, um, it really was. What his itinerary was? But, it, was it was.
1: It was Alabama, LSU, and USC.
0: Yeah. So, you know. I don't think anybody would pick USC, but again, this 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 is a weird this is a weird year, man. This is a weird year, weird cycle. NIL is definitely in full effect. And um, you know, USC has been able to pluck some guys that a lot of people probably didn't think they were able to get uh, going into the summer. So like I said, I mean, you know, the way things have been going, they'll lose Alani Noah to, to Oregon and they'll get Edrick Hill. Uh, which, you know, I, I told you fans because they're so focused on that 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 front twelve really. That's, that's, that's where I think most people feel like the class is really going to be win or lost. Um, if you're able to keep Malachi Nelson and you're able to keep Zach Branch, it's really about what you get in that front 12, right? The five offensive linemen and, uh, and your, and your defensive line and your linebackers. And and, and that's going to be really what wins or loses championships for USC as well, because that's, Still, championship football is really built on. You know, it's that front 12. If you're able to get good offensive linemen and good defensive linemen and linebackers, um, everything else kind of sort of falls into place. Now, I would argue and certainly you've got to have some elite quarterback. Um, you, you got to have a good quarterback. Um, elite, I uh, certainly helps. I mean, the teams that have won uh, the big games here and, and, and won playoff games uh, recently have certainly had great quarterback play. Um, so, you know, there have been schools in the past that have had, you know, more – uh, like uh, you know, Colt McCoy types that are maybe not the the the, the big time first round picks. Um, I don't know where did Colt McCoy go in the in the in the draft. He he actually was drafted. I feel like he was a fourth
1: round kind of pick.
0: He was he... He, for me. He was like a Cody Kessler type. He he wasn't he wasn't the guy. You know, he wasn't going to be a Vince Young type. He wasn't going to be, uh, of course, not an Arch Manning type. Thumbing so I mean, gosh. no way, no way, it could be at that level. Um, But nevertheless, um, I I still think, yeah, you got to get your quarterback, which is easy for USC. Most years, it's going to be a local kid. There's probably going to be two or three of them locally. They're going to be five-star level guys. I mean, if there's one thing California still produces plenty of, it's good quarterbacks. So, you know, that's not like you have to really go across the country to go grab a quarterback. It's really about that front 12 and those offensive linemen and defensive linemen. So it would be interesting to see if you pulled the pair style what who would you rather have Alani Noah or Edric Hill? I think most people would say Andrew Kill, but just because it's harder to find the right. lineman. You know, now what would I bet on USC getting? I, I'd still have to go with, you know, the common logical sort of, you know, w- what we've been able to, to to scrap through sources and everything and say, oh they're gonna get Alani. Noah they're not gonna get Andrew Kill. But nevertheless, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, now you know, Boulevard and everything sort of up and running and going and there being some momentum, maybe they get both.
1: Uh, Colt McCoy, third-round pick, number 85 overall. So there you go.
0: Since the playoff era, I feel like most of these schools have needed to have elite quarterback play to win those games. I mean, I'm thinking of Tui Tagovailoa. um, Bryce Young. uh, Trevor Lawrence. Bryce Young. um, Now, but you know what? Gosh, I say that completely contradict myself who stenson bennett yeah quarterback? i was thinking they got jt daniels at georgia but jt daniels didn't really even play it yeah so yeah they you know you can you can still have a manager at quarterback if you have a great defense you know the the georgia defense was generational i mean it was yeah. one of the best defenses we've seen in college football in a while so yeah i mean you know i, I most of those teams have had some first round quarterbacks, though, you know, even going back to LSU winning the championship, all those all those teams have had elite quarterback play. So that seems to be, you know, the best thing. But certainly, you know, that front 12 is also just as important. It's just as important because you can have an elite quarterback and a, a very average offensive line and an average defensive line. And guess what? You're not even going to get to the college football play. You're not even win your conference, if that's the case. So, yeah, uh, I think that's sort of the formula for USC. And, you know, they've they've, they've had some success here. They've got a little momentum here. And um, if uh, they're able to continue to build toward that magical number 18 number that I put out there uh, after I put a number 20 number out there and had to uh, back off of that, um, it's going to be mostly with the uh, front, you know, 12 players.
1: Shout out to Stenson Bennett for blowing up Gerard's uh... – take right there uh, i know i appreciate I did,
0: it i was thinking uh and jt daniel is not even there anymore he's at uh, west, west virginia. virginia so uh west virginia yeah. y'all yeah the, Sorry, uh, the, the, the lead quarterback uh conversation with uh, bryce young and all these other guys you think about you just think about the quarterback position you know you, you forget the guy that's not the first round pick at quarterback
1: okay so i think we're going to use this time to take our break when we come back, we're going to get into the hurricane's observations from the Coliseum practice we both attended. And then we got a laundry list of questions to handle. How's that sound, Jared?
0: That sounds scary.
1: It's okay. We'll, we'll get through it together. So we'll be right back after this break.
0: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gerard, you know what I'm going to ask, and you know what I'm going to say.
1: Yep, yep. So let's just move on. Let's not even do it. Let's not even do this whole bit. Let's just let's just keep it rolling.
0: Let's talk about the Coliseum observation practice notes and ana- analysis that we have for our 15 minutes of practice view. You ready for that? Woo!
1: hurricane? So, obviously, I cover every USC practice. So, I talk about practice and what I see in practice a lot, whether that's on tunnel vision or on instant analysis nowadays. But I'm sure people are tired of talk, hearing about what I think about practice. And I know everyone listening probably cares about what Gerard thought about practice, what he saw at practice, because Gerard doesn't always get to talk like – Actual Like, USC football, you know, mainly people rely on him for recruiting and stuff. Privacy, Gerard knows his shit, and people want, like to hear when he talks about the team. you always do really good uh, tweet analysis during games, pointing stuff out, so always like retweeting those. But Gerard, I'm curious about what you thought about practice and kind of what you saw from our limited observations about what, what you saw from, I guess, intensity or the structure or just you know, uh, general newcomers uh, in general. I said that twice. I have just really fumbled that. But Gerard, just tell me, what did you think of practice the the min- the midnight uh, night Coliseum practice that we got to see?
0: Yeah, w- it was limited. <laughs> yes, it was,
1: I knew you were going to say that.
0: Yeah. It was limited, and um, I, I I can't see myself making any grand predictions about the season. Just really haven't really seen the team very much, you know, that spring football showcase was really the most that we'd seen from the team. And what we're seeing now is warmups, um, some individual work and uh, that's about it. You know, we're not seeing any sort of seven on We're not seeing any 1111 in terms of intensity, in terms of the physicality of practices, you're not seeing any of that stuff. So I can't make any type of observation or, or, or try to, uh, analyze or evaluate how the team has improved or is, is is distinctly different from years past um i know everybody talks about the cultural change you know we'll, we'll see that happen during the season um i don't just you know go oh wow so the, you know the players say it's so different and just think well it must be different you know i mean players always talk about energy and they they talk about things and what have you but the the, the proof as they say is in the pudding and that's in wins and losses and how teams respond and how they play during the season. So we'll see how competitive they are and, um, you know, not just in the games they win, but, you know, any games they lose, you know, how close those games are, how do they lose those games. We're really going to have to wait until the season to really, to really know because we just have not seen anything from practice that can, um, that you can, that you can, can build, I think, a case on. Uh, Perhaps maybe there's a scrimmage that pops up and they, they open it up. Um, a little more. We get to see what happens, Um, but they've been extremely, extremely paranoid about having anybody say, see anything or, or, or what have you, or be around during a period. I mean, it's, it's kind of overboard at at this point, Um, especially coming from somebody who (laughs) covered USC back when they were winning national championships, uh, almost three in a row and any Tom Dick and Harry could come off the street and watch practice uh, all practice. So uh, this is uh this is the the antithesis of that, um, the 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 exact opposite of you know what we had uh, back in the era. So, um, in terms of observations, just some small things that I saw from some of the players. You know, I'm always interested in seeing the newcomers and how they transition and how they adapt. You know, into uh, that team structure. And there's you know a lot of newcomers. Uh, some guys there were obviously they were doing spring, but uh, 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 just a completely different team than last year. And, and Jordan Addison is, is one of the biggest newcomers that was not there during the spring. And just watching him run routes, he's very fluid. He has great reach for a guy his size. He's, he's not a not a very tall receiver. I mean, he's about six foot. But he really has that ability to give you a really big window as a quarterback. And you can just see how easy it is to throw to him. You know, the way he runs routes, how smooth, how consistent he is. He glides. And it's very easy to, to, to throw to him. Um, now, again, we didn't see a lot of one-on-ones or anything to see, you know, how he got open, um, how uh, intricate he was with his route running.
1: We didn't see uh, any one-on-ones, try.
0: <laughs> yeah, we didn't see any. Uh, we didn't see any, uh, you know, how he blocks in the run game, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, definitely show just uh, against air. And USC will see some air during the season. Um, they're not going to play much against it, but they'll see some air. Uh, he was uh, very, uh, very comfortable, it, it looked like, and uh, I could see why he's a guy that uh, the quarterbacks want to throw to. It just seems like he gives himself a, a, very, a very good window for quarterbacks to be able to throw to. Um, so I thought you know, he was interesting. We saw Relief Brown, freshman running back slash receiver, uh, going through some passing drills. I think what, looking at him physically right now and seeing how he's developed, he's developed his upper body quite a bit, you know, he's always, he's always had a, a good uh, bit of lower body explosion and lower body strength, but he looks like a running back now. Uh, he does not look like uh, DeAnthony Thomas, right? DeAnthony Thomas, they put at running back, but they put a lot at receiver two because they didn't want him to take a pounding at running back because he was very diminutive. He was very small. He was very slight. He was like 165, I think, when he arrived at Oregon. And I don't think he was probably above 200 pounds when he left. Uh, relief Brown's not built like that. Raleigh Brown is stocky. He is small.
1: He's got some, he's got some arms.
0: Yeah. I posted a video. He, yeah. That's where he's developed. That his upper body strength has been 100% where he's developed. He's always had, again, you know, a good lower body, a good foundation on him as a running back. But, yeah, man, he's got arms now. And, and he's stronger looking. And to me, I just don't picture him playing a lot of receiver. I, I was going to ask that of Lincoln Riley, but we didn't get enough time. Uh, in terms of the vision for him and how he was recruited. He was recruited during the recruiting process when uh, Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma um, as a, as a slot receiver, first and foremost, they sold him on that. And then when they came to, to USC it was kind of sort of the same thing, but I think he's a running back. I, I think he's a guy that can certainly catch the ball in the backfield. He's got good hands uh, and he's comfortable out there, but this is a guy that's an explosive running back and USC needs um, to have some depth at running back. And so I think he's going to get a majority of his reps at running back. Also at receiver, we saw a little CJ Williams and he looked really good. He looks, uh, I mean, he just looks ready to go. Like he looks like physically he's going to be able to contribute this year. Um, I don't know, you know, it's a stack position. I don't know where he's going to find those reps, but he looks like a guy that is, is ready to make an impact where it's really good routes, really, uh, a, a smart kid, uh, strong, uh, a possession receiver, but has a little bit of burst, uh, once he catches the ball. And so I, I like the way he looked, he looked just very decisive in his route running and catching the football. And, um, certainly a player that USC is going to need in the future as they have some of these upperclassmen, uh, lead guys like Jordan Addison. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, Devin Tompkins, a guy that we saw during the summer at the camps.
1: I'm big on the Devin Tompkins train right now.
0: Yeah. Who physically is just, um, Devin Tompkins now look like he ate Devin Tompkins from last spring. (laughs) He's got to be 250-260 now, um, and he looks like he's going to be a three technique. He's 6'6", probably 250-260, and is a guy that um, don't waste your time having him stand up at the line of scrimmage and play around like, oh, which gap am I going to go to? I'm going to (laughs) confuse the offense. No, just put him. At three technique – well, right now he's probably a five technique, but I think you eventually want to put him as a three technique, put that weight on him, get him to 285, and let him go ham right in that A-gap. That's, that's I think, where Devin Tompkins is going to be uh, a player for USC. And, and certainly, I mean, he's put on a ton of weight, and it, it just looks like good weight, and it looks like he's going to be able to put on more.
1: Yeah, it looks like he can definitely hold more to that frame. And I hope it's not a situation, like you said, you don't want him to – Necessarily stand him up. I hope it's not a situation like with Solomon Bird. Solomon Bird, the Wyoming transfer, started out playing defensive end, and now they're just playing him at rush end to start fall because they want him to learn both spot. I hope both spots. I hope Devin isn't didn't learn start out learning rush end, and now he's learning defensive defensive line. I think he's just purely just by the look of him, like you said, just keep him on that D line. Don't try to stand him up.
0: Yeah, I didn't get to see a lot of Bird, but that's another guy that. Watching him at Wyoming, I think you want to put him on his, his hand on the ground. You know, I, I don't know if you want to get real cute. And, you know, with Corey Foreman, and obviously there's a lot of questions about Corey Foreman right now because he hasn't been practicing. A lot of people are nervous about him. Um, they are um, expecting big things from him. And I think, you know, that goes to sort of a, a bigger conversation about five-star guys recruiting them, developing them, and how that impacts the recruiting process. With Imam Marshall, USC really they were hurt in recruiting because Imam Marshall did not develop at USC and become a you know a first round pick the way everybody thought he was going to. And that perception it impacts your ability to recruit in the future. Now, you know, guys can be busts, guys can just be overrated. But nevertheless, from a perception standpoint, it's going to be ammo for other schools to use against you. If you recruit a bunch of busts, it's going to hurt you. It doesn't matter if those guys just end up really being busts. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, if it's a bust, it was a bad evaluation by your coaching staff, right? So it hurts you recruiting either way. And and Imam Marshall, not just that he didn't go in the first round, but the fact that he wasn't a three and out was a big deal to people. I, I remember hearing that several times over the course of him being at usc and it's like yeah look at usc they don't develop anybody look at him on marshall Martin marshall was a generational player at cornerback and mm-hmm. he's not even like he can't even get out early to go to the nfl that hurt usc in the recruiting process and so they got to get cory Foreman up and running and develop him to make some plays because if he ends up being a guy that transfers out it's going to hurt USC. Even though this is not the coaching staff that that recruited him, it doesn't matter, man. That's just the way recruiting goes. It's going to be a black eye on your player development. And so uh, you want to see Corey Foreman get out there. Um, he played, obviously, in a different system last year. I felt like he had more of the athleticism and the traits to allow him to be a hybrid guy. But I do sort of wonder if he's still in that – That sort of no man's land uh, of learning two positions and doing two different things, and if it would just be better for him to put his hand in the ground, go get the quarterback, go be a pass rusher, young man, and uh, and focus on that, and don't worry about standing up and and going through you know uh, drills of taking running backs out of the backfield and things of that nature, because there's some guys that can do it. And again, go back to the top of the show, Braylon Shelby is that guy. He can do it. You you're not gonna have to worry about him. He has the spatial awareness instincts, agility, balance and speed, eyes, all those things to do that. But some guys don't. And Corey Foreman coming out of high school had a little bit of that, right? Drake Jackson really didn't have any of it, to be perfectly honest. He never did that in high school. He was a defensive lineman. He was a pass rusher in high school. You know, it was USC's convoluted idea to put him at linebacker. And and, and not just USC, it was his idea as well. I mean, to be fair, he loved that idea. He was sold on that idea. Uh, being a USC linebacker, you know, maybe wearing number 55, all that stuff. But, again, that's sort of like, you know, you have to be strong as a coaching staff and have a strong philosophy and say, no, listen, this is what's best for you. You need to buy into this because this is ultimately what's going to work for you. You know, that was one of the issues, you know, bigger picture with Clay Helton is that he kind of just sort of went with whatever, you know, the, the, the players wanted. He was a players coach too much like it, it went to to too, too the too far into the um you know what's the saying the saying it's the, the 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 inmates are running the asylum that that kind of became a little bit of what coach Helton's um legacy was and, and why you know so many players really liked him because they gave in too much to what the players liked it, it has to be at some point listen we're working with you but you're a player. You're not a coach. You don't know what's the best for you necessarily. You know, you, you know, where you feel comfortable and you have these ideals in your head of what you could be, but I'm here to give you the realistic view of the realistic evaluation of what you can be. That's my strength. That's why I'm a coach. That's why they pay me money to do what I do. So let me direct you, you know, it's like director. It's like actors, directing themselves on film it's like that that doesn't work you need a director you need somebody paid to direct them well that's what the coaches are supposed to do from an evaluation standpoint and evaluating and self-evaluating self-evalu- your own roster is just as important as evaluating you know recruits so i think with Corey Foreman, there, there's got to be an evaluation there of saying okay what are his actual strengths and we need to bolster there those before we get into these other things he can kind of do to, to, to throw wrinkles into our scheme and things. It's like, it's great to have that, but you don't necessarily want to build on those right out of the gates. Let's get Corey Foreman, you know, getting to practice consistently, getting reps consistently, staying healthy and on the field at, at one position, doing one thing first, and then we can build on some other things.
1: Well said a, uh, a nice take by Gerard. Uh, there are some like, sort of like small changes with some guys. I was wondering if I could just throw them out and get your reaction. Yeah, sure. Uh, Julian Simon, sort of inside linebacker, has been working rush end as a position we were just talking about, which I find interesting just because Julian, while he does have uh, really good athleticism, you know, he was recruited as a tight end and a uh, running back for some schools uh, before settling on linebacker for the Trojans, he doesn't have a ton of length. He's only like six foot one, maybe six foot two. But I just thought that was an interesting uh, switch for him to go to kick from outside to that Russian spot. I don't know how you feel about it.
0: Yeah. I don't like that. I don't think he yeah. has enough length to play at the line yeah. of scrimmage against offensive tackles. Um, you know, maybe as a Sam linebacker, if you were putting him off the line of scrimmage and you just had him matching up against tight ends and reading tight ends and basically playing at the line of scrimmage for that, maybe, but yeah, I don't know. That's going to go very far. Um, he, he he's not very big uh, to be able to tangle with people at the line of scrimmage. So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting move. Uh,
1: another one isn't a position switch, but just someone who has been sort of running with the ones consistently is uh, Sierra Wright. You know, he, a former top 100 prospect, he has been the guy early in fall camp opposite of Makai Blackman for that uh, second cornerback spot. And that's kind of where he ended spring camp. There was some injuries. So him, Profit Brown were kind of thrust into those two starting spots uh, late in spring camp. They started the spring game. There were some ups and downs with that. But I picked uh, Josh Jackson coming back from injury to kind of be the guy who wins that other job. But lo and behold, we have Sierra, uh, the true so- – or is he a true sophomore? I don't believe he is a true sophomore. But, you know no, –
0: got- Well, he, he's got he's a fr- – eligibility-wise, he's still a freshman. Okay. So- yeah, it's kind of hard because it's like USC labels them as if there's not a COVID waiver, but then we know that there's that COVID year still. So like for us on the site, I think how Ryan does it is this is the eligibility they have. So we 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 we're, we're including the COVID year in their eligibility because it yes, you would have to technically get a waiver for it, but it's everybody gets it. It's not like a medical Redshirt where you know you petition for that waiver and maybe you get it, maybe you don't. Everybody gets it. So USC I think labels them uh from if that you know COVID the COVID year's not there. Uh whereas I think Ryan puts it down as, you know, this is where their eligibility lies. So with Sierra, he's technically still a freshman eligibility wise.
1: But yes, in, in general, just him sort of, you know, on track on pace early pace to kind of maybe be a starter this year
0: that's interesting i mean we just had not seen a whole lot from him obviously he's got you know some some really good length and speed there he's uh sort of Carry harris ish you know if you're looking for a comparison um in terms of his build and, and the speed i don't know if he has the physicality that Kerry harris had um kerry harris was was kind of surprisingly physical for how big he was uh he was a guy that could come up and smack you pretty good uh i've seen that from sierra at loyola when he was coming out of high school but he definitely has uh you know sub 10 8 speed he's you know legit six foot six one uh long arms um a guy that uh was 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 pretty quiet i think uh you know last year despite you know injuries and and you know trying to see if uh there would be some rotation there. Didn't really get in very much. So it's good to hear that, you know, he's involved and that, um, you know, he, uh, potentially could live up to the billing. I mean, I, like I just said with, with Corey Foreman, you know, that goes across the board with all these players, you know, you've got highly rated players. you got to get those highly rated players out and they still need to be highly rated, you know, when they're when they're going out of college, um, or else, you know, that's, that's going to be, what's going to hurt your player development. It's going to hurt you on the recruiting trail. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to, to see uh, also what happens with Kobe Covington. You know, yeah. that's another guy that comes in um, that uh, that I think uh, you expect to compete for a, a starting job potentially. Josh Jackson as well was a guy that came in and, and you know, as a, originally as a receiver has great ball skills and just caught a, sort of slid over there at the beginning of the season um, to, uh, to cornerback. And, uh, you know, they really liked his length. And Dante Williams was very uh, complimentary of him and, and, and not, you know, not terribly different, like physically from Sierra, right. In terms yeah. of his build, you know, he's another kind of lean sort of six foot ish long arms, really good ball skills, not necessarily the most physical, uh, cornerback, uh, but a guy that, you know, can, can certainly uh, do a lot from a skill set standpoint. Um, Makai Blackman is, you know, Interesting. I'm not completely sold on him. Everybody sort of just pencils him in at that other cornerback spot. Um, I'm interested to see how, how well he plays. um, If they're not just sort of like, you know, giving him that spot because he has seniority. I mean, he is the senior senior of that group. He is the guy that's got the most experience certainly. Uh, But at at Colorado, I thought he was okay. I I didn't think he was, um, you know, necessarily like a lockdown guy. That's like, Oh my gosh, you know, you know, He's a guy that uh, is going to come into USC, and he's just, you know, going to be the starter automatically. I think Christian Gonzalez was the better of the two. Christian Gonzalez ended up transferring to Oregon, um, so I'm I'm interested to see if Kobe uh, Jacoby Covington can can make a push and, and actually play cornerback. Um, Jalen Smith is is still I, I think even listed as a cornerback, but is more of a safety. He's more of a nickel safety yeah. than than anything, um, and obviously uh, Max Williams is is sort of similar in that in that role.
1: And just final one, not not necessarily like an earth-shattering kind of switch, but Mason Murphy, who has been mainly uh, a left tackle, kind of taking left tackle right reps, the second team left tackle for most of his time before he was hurt last year, has now started sort of cross-training and playing uh, a right tackle spot and possibly even moving in to play a little interior just to get some experience there in fall camp.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I think he's, you know potentially if he's able to get to the next level, might be a bit more of a guard. I don't know if he has the athleticism to be a flat-out tackle. Um, but I think, you know, at the college level, he certainly can get away with right tackle. Um, we've seen him bounce around a little bit, but left tackle is tough, man. You, you, you mm-hmm. know, there's a reason why those guys are, are so coveted. Uh, you have to have a real kind of specific skill set to go against some of these real speed rushers. I mean, some of these guys are like bats out of hell. You get guys that run in, you know, a four-five, four-six range, and you're a 310-pound lineman. you got to have a lot of length, and you got to have really good quick feet, good balance. Um, so, I mean, that stands to reason I think you definitely want any of your linemen that are not like a franchise guy at a specific position you know, that's his position. He owns that position. He's been dominant at the position. Any of those guys, you move them around because you're going to have injuries on the offensive line. and You've got to have some versatility. And um, some of those guys are able to make uh, a name and, and make uh, a, a push into the next level because of that versatility. I mean, you look at Elijah Vera Tucker. Elijah Vera Tucker would have been, you know, a, a pretty highly drafted guard, but he would have probably been in the third round, fourth round. But he showed the versatility of being able to play offensive tackle not just offensive tackle, but left tackle. That's huge. Now, is he going to be a franchise left tackle? Ah, uh, Probably not, but he could end up being a franchise offensive lineman somewhere else because he showed that versatility, showed the ability as an interior guy to go out there on an island and play left tackle. So that that's huge. That's, that's something that, you know, everybody covets and being smart enough and being versatile enough to go inside, outside, to play different positions. I think one thing that we talked about when we were watching practice is USC going through a litany of different centers? I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that uh, that that Josh Henson spoke on a little bit. Uh, looking for you know a specific skill set to play center, and those guys are are, are important to get. And um, that's interesting because you know they've used some different guys at that position. We've seen Quino, uh, uh, Gino Quinones play some center in the past. Um, I think uh, Andrew Melick is playing center yeah. now. Cooper you-
1: Lovelace is getting some work at center, so they're, they're getting a lot of guys that work at yeah. center. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and it's, it, it's, I talked about this uh, with uh, Micah Benuelos being committed. You know, that's a, a little underrated position. You, the guy's handling the ball every snap and has to make these calls, has to be a quarterback of sorts. And there's physically some things that you want to see from your centers that you may not need from your guards. So that's a, that's a really kind of underrated position that, um, you know, right now USC's uh, tinkering with, with different body types and some different players. And certainly those guys that they're using right now, that they have playing center, um, one sort of looks a lot like Mike, ben- uh, uh, Micah Benuelos and, and that's uh, Brett Nealon, right? Um, uh, you know, Justin Diedich who played a bunch of center and now is playing guard, um, is a guy that actually played center in high school. Uh, but, I think is probably a little more like Benuelos, whereas you look at a guy like Andrew Melick, who's an offensive tackle in yeah. high school. Um, uh, uh, Gino um, was a defensive lineman mostly in high school at, at a St. Louis. Uh, so yeah, you, you you know you have a lot of different type of body types. I think USC is just kind of trying to get a feel for you know what they have and what who can do what, um, and, and guys that maybe just don't fit a specific position right away.
1: And, Hurricane, that's all the sort of things I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, practice, I think it's time to move on to questions.
0: Uh, Evan, we, I mean, we got a lot of questions. So let's uh, try to tackle some of these questions.
1: We do got a lot of questions. Normally, we would have like six or seven questions. Today, we have like one person sent in five questions himself. So, this is going to be a, a long list. So, let's try to hit these. Uh, As hard as we can And if you are interested in sending us a question To get answered on the podcast You can email us Email us at podcast at uscfootball.com Just make sure you put the composite Or cilantro boys Or hurricane or 10k The Latino guys, whatever you want Just to identify us so it'll get to us And go into my inbox You can also DM me a question Uh, Do not DM Gerard Because he will not see it and his DMs aren't even open, so it's just a losing battle there. So, Gerard, let's get into it. Uh, first one is DM from Can He Live. Since the Texas since a Texas kid as big, fluid, and prototypical for a key position as Braylon's Shelby seems to seems to okay. I gotta I gotta self correct here. Since a Texas kid is big, fluid, and prototypical for a key position as Braylon Sel- Shelby seems to not be a five-star, what qualifies someone to be a five-star prospect?
0: That well, not a question for me. That's a question for Greg Biggins or Steve Whitlong or the guys that uh, um, to do the, the the committee on rankings. Right.
1: I so ba- really just, just very quickly, the, the kind of the five-star and right, Gerard... Any of those guys Gerard listed have a better – will have a better answer, a more detailed answer. But all the rankings are sort of based off of NFL draft potential. That's why there's 32 five-stars every year for the composite or for the uh, 247 rankings because it mimics or reflects the 32 picks in the uh, the NFL first round or an NFL, uh, NFL team. So uh, that's sort of where the kind of rankings – um, that, that's kind of what they have in mind when they're kind of distinguishing five-star between four-star and three-star. It's kind of based on sort of NFL potential. And a five-star is sort of you have the potential to be a first-round draft pick. Those are the kind of measurables that you have. That's only why there's only 32 in any given cycle. So, you know, Shelby has a lot of intangibles and measurables that you like. So, and again, it's only the summer. So with the big senior season, this guy can move up significantly. But I think he will move up. Will he get to five-star status? I don't know. You know, he looks good on tape, looks good in person if you ever see him. So I think he has a potential to move up a lot more. But kind of with five stars, it's kind of based off NFL draft potential. Um, next one well uh, comes, uh, comes from Neil. Thank you. Uh, hey, guys, if signing day was today, who would you both predict to commit for the 2023 class that hasn't officially committed yet? Uh, again, this comes from Neil. In Inglewood, so obviously there's a lot of names we could say, but I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to go through. I don't want to go through a, a whole list to fill out a full class or anything like that, but just names. I would say probably Deuce Robinson is a name that I'll throw out there. Gerard, do you want to throw out a name?
0: <laughs>
1: you want to throw out uh, a name? I'm I stalling.
0: Mean, we would, yeah. We would. We would think that Alani Noah would yeah. would be yeah. in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, up until just recently, I would have said Matteo Ongolile would be okay. a guy that uh, I would earmark as a, a guy that would be potentially part of the USC class. Although, you know, hearing that um, maybe that's not going to be the case. Um, yeah, I you know, it, doing a whole like prediction list right now and, and we're still trying to get out of the summer um, is uh, is completely futile. Uh, we still have to see what happens with uh, Malachi Nelson potentially visiting some other schools. Um, there are guys that are committed that that may look at other schools if USC uh, craps down the side of their leg this season. I mean, that's just the the, the long and short of it.
1: What a what a beautiful what a beautiful metaphor.
0: Well, you know what? I will <laughs> I will actually uh, I will actually give uh, Craig Niver uh, credit for that because uh, he told me that last season about recruiting and about. Uh, some things, <laughs> and that was what he said. I said, you know what? That's exactly what it is, man. That's exactly what it is. If uh, if you don't get it done during the season, and you uh, you play bad and and you lose games, it's just just it's just uh, you're spinning your wheels. And some of those kids are just going to go elsewhere. Um, now, again, you know the NIL thing is a wild card to some extent. We saw with Texas A&M last year; they didn't have like a great year, um, but they did beat Alabama, and I think they built a lot on see what we can do, see what we can do. We just get better players. We can build other players. Uh, we can build uh and, and beat other teams that are, are at that level. We can play at that level. We just, you know, injuries, whatever, you know, you, they're just salesmen. You you just, you know, coaching staff's just selling it. Jimbo's out there and he's selling it. And uh and the kids bought into it. And then IL and the collective thing was was working for them as well. So, you know, our schools that are seven five, is that it's still going to be one of those things where you can still be a completely mediocre program and end up with you know, uh, one of the best recruiting classes in the past 10 years. Is that going to be like the norm? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. I, I would bet against it. I think A&M just got ahead of the curve with things. They were ultra aggressive and um, able to, to, to sort of script the line of some things potentially, and that got them a great class. And so um, I don't know that Miami's going to be able to do that this year or Tennessee schools that you don't necessarily predict are going to have great seasons, but have really good recruiting classes and continue to seem to have a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. So with USC, I think they got to win games. Okay. They got to win games and um, you, you got to get into that uh, nine, 10 game wins to be able to maybe flip some guys um, and hold on to uh, your best recruits. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, Making predictions now is just, it's silly
1: this next one comes from Kevin hey Chris fellow P member I have a question when is the next recruiting event now that the collective has been announced you think we see the effects right away well the collective won't go into effect in 2023 so I don't think so we're definitely not going to see any of those effects obviously this year and uh, for the next recruiting event I believe we are on a dead period. Of some sort, I believe
0: so. The next technical, the next recruiting event you'll see at USC is the home opener,
1: right? It'll be it'll be game days essentially, and they'll they'll bring guys in for for practices, uh, fall fall practices. If if they're not, you know, swamped with uh, a high school ball, we we'll see a, occasionally a couple guys come through. But the big things will obviously be uh, Saturday night Saturday game days. That's when we'll see kids on the sideline and stuff. Even though that's yeah. technically not like a like a barbecue or anything, like a specific a recruiting event. But yeah, there will if be... you're
0: talking about a recruiting event like a junior day or a, or, or something of that nature, yeah, that's not going to happen until January uh, probably at the earliest. February, um, you're going to see official visits uh, during the season. The first official yeah. visit I think they have is with uh, Malachi Coleman, which uh, I'm not sure if that's – is that for the home opener or that the following week? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I have to pull up his – his profile, but he's coming in in September. Um, so you will have, those are recruiting events, obviously. You have an unofficial visits. They may have something at the end of the year um, where you have like a group of unofficial visitors that you bring down right before signing day. They had that last year. That was mainly because Lincoln Riley was trying to hit the ground running and he got hired and it yeah. was like, hey, we got to try to get as many of these 2023 guys on campus as possible, get some 2022 guys on campus to try to close strong. And, and obviously that didn't really work. Um, so it, it, they could still have something, but normally, um, the normal process, the normal cycle, you're going to have your official visitors. You'll have a bigger official visit weekend, most likely for the Notre Dame game, um, the home game, the home game this season. Um, and then you will parlay that into, uh, in-home visits, you know, you're going to have your, your staff on the road, um, going in and having in-home visits, and then you'll have uh, that. Two, I think there's two weeks there where you can have official visits before the early signing period. So it'll be a more normal um, year and cycle for USC. From that standpoint, uh, you might have maybe some coaches coming or going still. Uh, but nevertheless, it will be pretty straightforward. It's not going to be quite as, uh, as spastic and, and chaotic because, you know, you you've you hired a coach and you're trying to, um, you know, keep some guys committed and you're trying to get more commits without having really had an established relationship of that cla- of that coach with that school.
1: Next question comes from Kel Kristen Gerard. with USC's move to the big 10. I'm looking forward to not having to worry about PAC 12 officials compromising games. I honestly believe that they cost USC games with regularity. Pete Carroll once offered the conference, a study that showed when USC played a PAC 12 game, they were the most penalized team in the country. And when they played non-conference, They were middle of the pack in terms of penalties. What are your thoughts about how USC will fare penalty-wise with clearly more competent officiating crews? Thanks and fight on. Again, that's from Kel.
0: If I recall, I think that study actually showed that USC was not only the most penalized team, but the team that they played was like the least penalized team that week too. It was really bad. It was actually mathematically an impossibility. (laughs) for that not to be something that was manipulated, I guess, was, was the overarching point about it. And, um, you know, the, the the conference said something like, oh, yeah, we're, we'll look into it, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, the officiating uh, has not been great in the Pac-12 in general. And I think it's definitely been much better in the Big Ten. Now, how that, you know, correlates with uh, wins and losses in terms of where USC ranks, it was interesting because Lincoln Riley did, make a comment about penalties yeah, yeah. i thought that was
1: a very interesting comment that he made in terms of if you don't have a lot of penalties as a team you're probably not very good because when you play the game of football and if you play the game of football right there needs to be an underlying expression of aggression it's an aggressive sport you need to have that that element in the way you play and the penalties they don't want are obviously dead ball penalt- penalties you know, uh, administrative penalties, you know, things after the whistle, those are the ones you can't have. But you get stuff like holding calls and stuff like that. You know, that's part of the game if you're going out there and being aggressive. So I thought it was interesting, you know, uh, answer to him about about penalties. And they they did have a lot in their first team period for the Coliseum
0: practice. Here's an interesting kind of like a story that that sort of backs that up and story time. Let's go goes back to my, to my, my young years in football and and learning and being coached. I remember the first practice that I ever had in pop Warner. One of the drills that they made us do, we were running um, 10 yards, only 10 yards back and forth. And the drill was a cadence drill. So they would say it's on two, two whistles, you go. The thing was you had if you if you blew the cadence right and say you went on one and it was on two. You had to go. You had to go all the way to the 10 yard line. Right. You, you had to run if you hesitated, if you jumped, but then you kind of try to pretend like you didn't jump or you kind of jumped and you went back. The whole team would have to run around the
1: interesting. Field. Interesting.
0: What, what that was to do was to reinforce decisiveness in football. Do whatever you're doing full speed, hundred percent. Do not hesitate out there. If you screw up, screw up, going 100 miles per hour. Do not screw up going you know 30 miles an hour. Don't don't hesitate, go full just be decisive and, th- and that's what the game of football is. The teams that are good are decisive and if you're going to screw up, screw up full speed, be aggressive, be physical. So yeah, I totally 100% agree with that. I think he's right about that. Um, I I think obviously you don't want to be, you know, like crazy penalizing and and do all kinds of things that that kill drives because college football, um, you know, jumping off sides and stuff like that, that can just kill a drive. It can kill you. Um, So, you know, you you do have a quarterback now, though, however, we'll go go back to that whole, uh, you know, having a a quarterback that can actually um, make some plays on his own, like Sam Darnold with USC decided to get away from for some reason, um, can help a lot in that department. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, you really don't want to kill drives with penalties, but at the same time, especially on defense, you just want to go out there and you want your guys to play and you play hard and, and you're not, if you're thinking you're hesitating and you're unsure yourself, uh, that is going to hurt you more than it's going to help you.
1: What a great little drill. I wish we could see that with the USC players, but that's probably like a too advanced of a drill for college players to do. That's, that's a perfect like pop Warner kind of drill, but I would still Good, love to what's see too it.
0: Advanced. What do you mean not advanced enough? What do you mean too advanced? It wouldn't be too advanced for college players. Not not advanced. I
1: there. meant like too simplified. Okay, like that's too, what too, <laughs> you said. You meant the meant.
0: opposite of what you said. All right. Yeah I, yeah, I
1: meant the opposite of what. We're at the end of the show, man. Give me a break. Give yeah, a it
0: was break. it was it was it was weird because I mean you know you're a kid and I'm like I don't know what I don't know how old I was seven eight years old and I'm just like they want you to jump off sides? like I don't understand. <laughs> what it meant but that's what it was it was like hey if you're gonna jump jump all the way to the other line like you go to that other 10 yard line and it's fine hey you're over there and the other and the rest of the team that's fine you just wait for them to go and and we'll keep on with the drill and that's all you got to run but the moment you jump and you try to go back oh everybody's taking a lap do
1: you off the do you remember if you were good at that or not or did you like
0: i remember that i screwed up I, I i like once and then other people screwed up also and we all ran i remember that <laughs> uh but i don't remember I, I didn't um we only did it a few times like very early on and um and we and i don't uh, i never screwed up i never jumped and actually ended up on the other line no where, where it was like that no
1: okay okay fair enough uh next one comes from tc dear dear chris and gerard aka the cilantro boys a.k.a. the Menudo Men, a.k.a. the Jalapeno Homies, a.k.a. the Champion Cholos. Could you provide some insight into Corey Foreman's development on the team and share expectations you have for him in year two? Also, which of the 2023 class do you think is most likely to decommit? Thanks for the work you do. Viva La Raza from TC. Well, TC, I hope if you were listening for the entirety of podcast, you you heard Gerard break down kind of Corey Foreman's development Uh, on not a lot of it, a lot of it in one of our earlier segments. So hopefully that kind of answered that question. But in terms of expectations, I don't expect him to start this season. I expect him to kind of be, I expect that to be Romello Heights job. seems like he is the clear front runner for that Russian spot. And I expect Corey to be his sort of rotational backup kind of based off the, uh, the spring game rotation. It seemed like Romello and Corey were kind of like a one a kind of one B kind of deal with Corey getting a lot of rotation You know, you can put Corey at defensive end, uh, keep Romello at the rush end. So I expect him to kind of get sort of play like that. But I don't expect him to have sort of the pressure of being the starter. That will fall more on Romello, and I think that can loosen him up a little bit, you know, ease that pressure. And in terms of, like, statistics, I think he could get to kind of double what he had last year. I think he kind of had three and a half or four and a half. But I'm kind of thinking he can come away with, you know, maybe seven, eight sacks, Depending on a good year, you know, get some get some garbage time, rack up some there. Um, so I would expect I think eight sacks would be kind of a good year two for him, and sort of you know, kind of moving into a starter's role, probably for his junior year. Um, that's kind of what my thought thought is on that. Gerard, I know you already talked about the development, but I don't know if you have any certain expectations for that year two season for Corey.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, eight sacks would be phenomenal for him. I I think. um, Certainly doable.
1: Certainly doable.
0: It'll be interesting to see how much he can play opposite of uh, Romell Heights. I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, because, you know, Nick Figueroa is also there, and Nick has been very productive for USC, but then he's also kind of battled injuries here uh, lately, and uh, as Corey has. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to get your foot in the door because somebody could go down for a couple games. Um, it's uh, not necessarily like you've got a lot of iron men on that defensive front. I mean, that, that goes even for, you know, Brandon Peely, like everybody across the board outside of Tuley has, uh, has had some injuries that have kept them out multiple games. So um, that's a position where you can definitely rotate also, and you can have guys, uh, especially playing against, uh, you know, a lot of pass happy offenses in the pac 12 and they want to, uh, run up and down the field. Um, you're going to have to have some rotation. You know, you're going to have to have guys that are pass rushers that, um, you know, have, have the cardio that can just keep going out there and and pushing hard. So it's, it's not a bad thing to have depth at that position. And certainly that is a position where USC has recruited, you know, fairly well at, and has had some depth. It's just a matter of trying to get some production at that position as well. I, I would like to see just, you know, maybe less moving around though. Um, you know, and, 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 try to get guys. He, I, I think some of it, you know, it helps nowadays when you've got the transfer portal and you don't want guys to get unhappy to sort of move them around and give them spots and they can maybe, you know, fit in where they get in, but you also want them to just kind of focus and get better at, at a single position as well. And that's sort of, you know, my, my, my gripe about Thule and seeing him out there standing up in a two point uh, stance and rushing the passer sort of as a five technique. It's just like, man, that guy is a three technique, put him a defensive line at the three technique and just let him attack the quarterback there. That's what he needs to be doing. You almost need to build your defensive line around that and then hope one of these guys at the edge can stay healthy and be a counter to that. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he develops. I, I have really no expectations. I think what Chris said is exactly you know how it stands today, um, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing him a little bit opposite of Romello as well. And see, you know, what USC could get out of that.
1: And in terms of like a decommitment pick, I don't really like to do decommitment pits like that. So I'd probably steer away from that because I don't want to I don't want to just like throw out a decommitment and just
0: there's cause- there's nobody there's nobody right now on this class that are like a Quaid Davis. You know, the, the former yeah, yeah. commitment at, at USC it was a four star out of Dallas, and it was like, dude, this guy's not gonna end up at USC and trying to hint at it every which way. But um, I would say, I mean, just 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 at face value, you kind of look at the two running backs out of Texas, and both of them I, are.
1: I was right. gonna say the running backs. Those yeah, were kind they, of my they, guess. They've
0: gotten some bumps here, and um, you know, you could see maybe those SEC schools or those Texas schools taking another run at them, uh, especially if uh, Ruben Foster remains committed to Louisville, the five-star running back, number one running back,
1: uh, Ruben Owens.
0: Uh, Ruben Owens. What did I say? Ruben Foster. Sorry, excuse me. Ruben Foster. Is old that a linebacker.
1: player? Oh, there you Reuben go.
0: Foster, yeah. I played, uh, played linebacker at Alabama. Um, he was from uh, Georgia. Yes. Yes, he, was, theirs, he, was, he was notoriously known for getting an Auburn tattoo. And then uh, as Boom. a, as a, as a, as a commit uh, and a senior, and then turning around and committing to Alabama. Boom. Um, so that, that was an interesting recruitment, but uh, yeah, Ruben Owens, excuse me, the number one running back uh, five-star out of Texas. So a lot of people were like, he's going to Texas, he's going to Texas. And then, uh, completely pulled an okie doke and ended up at Louisville and I like baby. And so we'll see if that stands. A lot of people feel like that's not going to stand that, you know, Texas will end up getting them. And again, you know, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, you know, there's certain schools and they're paying money up front And, and I'm not making any allegations or anything. I'm just saying that this is the conversation that people are having and they think that there's no way that you can renege on that commitment because somebody gave you money to commit to a school it's BS, man. I'm telling you right now that the kids can, can give the money back if they want to or not. It don't mat- It's just not going to matter at the end of the day. You're not going to be able as a collective to go to court and sue some kid over some money you gave them because it's going to make it look bad like you induced him to go to that school. And that's going to be against the NCAA. Now, if that rules change down the line, then that's different. But at right now, as the, lo- the rules are, if you are inducing recruits to go to schools and, and giving them money to go to specific school to do specific things, that is absolutely against the rules, and, and and you would be potentially putting your team in, in a situation where they the school that you're affiliated, with, you give them the death penalty because of something like that. So it's not going to happen. So that's why people still look at Ruben Owens uh, committing to Louisville, going ah eh, might not that might not stand, um, knowing that obviously there's got to be a great NIL deal. No disrespect to Louisville, Louisville fans. I, I don't I don't want to slight your football program, but obviously it's not a Power Five school. It's not Texas. It's it's not a big boy. So you know, you can sit here and say, wow, he really has a great, you know, relationship with the coaching staff and he's going to play early and this, that, and the other. And it's like, yeah, but you know, that that, that existed last year too and the year before. And you know, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things you start to see outlier schools, land guys like that out of nowhere, you know, that everybody's going to look at it and say, wow, well, there's going to be some NIL factors there.
1: And yeah, I would have just said the running backs, if like one of them or both of them had like, you know, really, really good seasons, senior years and, you know, a bunch of SEC and Texas schools try to make another run. That was my only kind of real um, logical reason for picking any of those guys right now. Uh, this one comes from Kevin. Do you think it's Texas AM letting Malachi Nelson take a look inside the Brinks vault? Or more or more so that he wants to go to a school where he can start immediately?
0: No, I, think- I don't think he has anything to do with I he I've I've spoken to his you know, his dad and him about this ad nauseum, they love Caleb Williams. They, they, you know, they, they really, really tight.
1: they're really tight.
0: Yeah. They look at him as a mentor. He's one of those guys that they feel like they actually benefit playing behind him and watching him uh, not just, you know, handle business on the field, but handle business off the field. You know, there's there's a lot going on there, which I think um, is definitely working in USC's advantage with Caleb Williams being there. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I I was told flat out by people very close to Malachi Nelson that this had a lot to do with NIL and, um, and, and I, and I think also, you know, maybe as other factors though, is that, you know, USC again, offensive line recruiting, we know that Alabama used that to get Bryce Young to kind of sort of, uh, to, to, to loosen him up on his commitment. And then when Clay Helton was fired or excuse me, Clay Helton wasn't fired. Clay Helton looked like he was going to be fired when they lost that BYU game. That was just, you know, added fuel to just, you know, dislodge him from that commitment completely. That's not going to happen with USC this time around. You know, Lincoln Riley is not going anywhere. So the stability there is going to be a lot to keep Malachi Nelson committed. Um, The anti-effectors are are still there. But like I said, you know, we've seen some evolution of of the boulevard. We've seen some things, and I'm sure they're very well aware of the Malachi Nelson situation. And I'm sure that, um, you know, they're just working to make sure that he feels comfortable with uh, the opportunities he's going to have at USC, um, you know, financially and and brand building and everything else.
1: This one is a two-part question that comes from D from the Central Valley. They're both directed at you, Gerard. So Gerard on the P you mentioned David Peavy recently. I, I believe you said USC really likes him. And about two weeks ago, you mentioned USC is in a good position for him, but it got silent. Do you think SC's chances on him? What do you, do you like SC's chances of getting him committed the second question, Gerard, you also mentioned that SC is still talking to local committed offensive linemen. How strong is the Eliza Jacket commitment to Washington? Hopefully it's like the day, the commitment of Dalen Austin has to LSU. Thank you for you two in the age of NIL. Following recruiting is not as fun, both of you, but both of you have made it more enjoyable. Thank you, D.
0: Yes. Uh, first question, David Peavy. I, I don't think he went silent for USC. I, I think in that conversation we were talking about Shelby, kind of going silent with Texas. Um, To my knowledge, PV has been in communication with USC for a while, and, um, you know, there's been some confidence there with him. But it is basically Oregon and USC, and I think right now both schools feel confident. I think both schools feel like they're going to get him. I don't know that he has uh, really made any overtures to one school or the other. It's probably just going to be one of those things where he may not tell uh, one of the schools where he's going and he's just going to commit and they're going to find out that way. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see how that goes. We actually heard he might commit last week. So that's coming gone, obviously, but that was, I, I didn't say that. Cause I wasn't sure uh, that was sort of a source through a source that, 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 that told me that. Um, but uh, yeah, he obviously did not commit. And so we're kind of still waiting to see, uh, what happens. And then, you know, does, does the Braylon Shelby commitment affect him at all? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, he was on the official visit with Braylon Shelby and USC has uh, been recruiting them both pretty aggressively. So um, that's where that stands with David Peavy. Second question um turns of Eliza Jacket. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, USC feels like they can circle the wagons on some of these local players, sort of like they did with Malachi Crawford. I, I think Elijah Jacket falls into that category where they feel like they've got enough to offer. And if they win those games during the season, they'll be able to go back and they'll be able to recruit him. They don't have to make a big push early or anything. Just kind of keep certain bodies warm that you liked, and and they liked him. I mean, they really did uh, recruit him pretty hard early in the spring. Uh, Josh Henson spent time with him uh, personally on junior day, and he came away feeling like he was a priority recruit. Now, I think that sort of changed because he never came in on an official visit, and that sort of tells you a little bit. Uh, the guys that they really wanted to make a push for, they brought in on official visits. And the guys they felt like they could probably recruit harder later if they didn't get somebody else on the board, uh, those guys I think they've waited to have their official visits later in the year. So Elijah Jacket still has official visits he can take, and uh, he could take an official visit to USC. So that would be something that they probably would do later on the line if they felt like you know they didn't have other options.
1: And this isn't a question. It's just a comment on us uh, or someone just wanted to make a comment for the, for us to to read. This is from Alan. Uh, Kristen Gerard. don't get me wrong. I enjoy recruiting and the weird drama as the, and the weird drama as much as the next peristyle member, but those verbal commitments don't mean much until the player is accepted and enrolled at the university. So I'm pleased that we are starting to have some success recruiting offensive line and bolstering our defense. Tackett Curtis. But Early sign day is almost five months away. Hopefully the Trojans play well and flip some of the players that committed elsewhere. Absolutely love Gerard's comment about the or about Oregon being the smartest kid at the continuation school. Gerard, I've gotten multiple people tell me that they love that that line. So great burn, Gerard. Uh, that was me. That wasn't what Alan said. Uh, this is back to Alan. Keep up the great work and fight on, cilantro boys. Seriously, who doesn't like cilantro? 1997 Trojan on the P. I like cilantro, Gerard. I don't know if you're one of those people that get the soap taste or whatever.
0: No, you know, I like cilantro. I okay. like yeah.
1: Oh, damn! You even said it like. You said it like legit.
0: <laughs> cilantro.
1: Yeah, cilantro. <laughs> you said it like legit.
0: Oregano. You Oregano. Got my guy. I mean, you said you said. Uh, you, somebody cilantro. Said, somebody said uh, for uh, La Rasa, and you you. I mean, you butchered that. You said look, La, man. La, La Raza. Look,
1: man. Chill out. You were on
0: the. You were on chill the, out uh, over there. The tabarachi. Chill out over there. You were on the tabarachi uh, faction there. You know, chill, tabarachi. Chill out over there. Actually, it's tabarachi. It's not tabarucci. Even though tabarucci, tabarucci is so much funner to say.
1: All right, Gerard. We have five questions sent in by one person. Tariq sent in five questions, and these aren't like I stored them up over multiple weeks. This was all for one week. So this is what we're gonna do. We're going to trade questions back and forth, so you're going to get the okay. first one, and then you're just going to answer, and then I'm going to get the next one, and I'm going to answer, and then you're going to get the next one, and you're going to answer. Does that make sense?
0: Okay, you want me to tr- uh, go and try to read uh, the questions to you? No, no, or- I'm, I'm,
1: I'm going to read them. I'm going to read All them regardless.
0: Right. All right,
1: All right. go. So you're up first. SD seems to historically struggle with recruiting out of Washington. Outside of on-the-field credibility, what do the majority of the top prospects – why do the majority of the top prospects from the state do not choose USC?
0: There's not really any connections up there. You don't have any coaches in the coaching staff that are from Washington or they haven't had um, much time recruiting that particular area. It's all about contacts. So USC, you know, they looked like they were going to be good in Washington when they had Johnny Nance and they had that group that came down from Washington. And they did get um, – uh, some guys that were, were were decent players. I mean, they, they have recruited some good players from Washington, but recently it's been obviously more about Texas and they had uh, the majority of coaches on the coaching staff under Clay Helton were from Texas. And so kind of hard for those guys to go up to Washington. It's a different culture, you know, different group of people. Um, it, 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 it kind of goes back to what we talked about with recruiting by position versus recruiting by area. And so, didn't have a lot of representation in the Northwest. They don't necessarily have to. It's not like, you know, you've got to recruit Washington to get the best players out of Washington to be uh, competitive uh, in the Pac-12 or nationally. It's good, you know, to be another place that you can go in and you can pluck players out of. But certainly, I mean, I would say Arizona is probably even more important and even the Bay Area in Northern California, which USC has been terrible at recruiting over the years. Uh, is, is more important. So, um, you know, you just I think in terms of your connections and uh, your ability to have people on the ground that, you know, and you trust to be able to help you evaluate who's who and who's legit and also to just have ears on the ground as to kind of what's going on in a recruitment is very important. And USC has not had that um, very often.
1: Uh, Next question goes to me. Can you give some insight into the relationship or lack thereof between USC and St. John Bosco? It's almost as if the coaches steer their kids away from SC. I wouldn't say that. Um, The relationship between USC and Bosco has been interesting. It, It seems to go through sort of these phases where it's high and then it's low and then it's high and then it's low. Obviously, when I started covering sports in Southern California, you know, Bosco was just beginning their kind of rise with that national championship, and USC was involved. Obviously, they got you know Damian Mama, who was a big-time offensive lineman, and Malik Dorton was also in that class. And then it kind of you didn't really see any Bosco players really kind of steer, and steer, steer, uh, or go to to USC. And then recently, USC sort of had a sort of revival with uh, Bosco. You know, there's plenty of Bosco Braves on the roster right now. You have Jude Wolf. Chris Steele, you know, he was on the team last year, but he was a big get from Bosco uh, eventually through the portal. Kobe Pepe, uh, Raylan Goforth, Will Rose, the walk on punter, and then walk on Mac Colombo at running back. He's also, you know, a Brave. So they have a bunch of Braves' fingerprints and footprints all over this team. And that's obviously a school that Lincoln Riley made a trip to early. That's a school he knows that he has to keep that relationship up and sort of uh, strengthen that. Uh, I. I strengthen that relationship. Bosco isn't, I would consider sort of a quote unquote pipeline school for USC, but it's definitely a school where they can go in and offer kids and, and get, and get kids. Uh, There's a bunch of guys that they've offered now, and that would love to get, you know, Jordan Lockhart, Marcellus Williams, uh, Kingston, the linebacker. I'm going to butcher his name, his last name. So I won't Peyton Woodyard. So there's a bunch of guys that, that they've offered on the staff. I know it's more considered, I guess, a UCLA school, if you want to actually deem it a school, but Ohio State has had success there. Success there. You know, Washington's had success there. So uh, Stanford has had success there. So uh, St. John Bosco doesn't really have a a pipeline to any sort of college, and it, it has really good relationship with a bunch of college. So I wouldn't say there's a lack of relationship there. I just, it just has been an up-and-down kind of thing under the Clay Helton era, and I think – Lincoln riley you know that's a guy that's really well respected and i think that's a guy who's going to really strengthen and fortify that uh that pipeline moving forward so i would say they're in a good spot with st john bosco obviously there's a the guys they're recruiting uh for the 2024 class and the 2023 class so we'll uh we'll see that i think we'll see that could continue to strengthen uh over the next couple of years um back to gerard What are USC's chances with Nicholas Harbor being that they have a top five track program? Harbor's player analysis makes him seem like a developmental project at the next level, regardless of position. What position do you feel like he has the most potential for him?
0: Yeah. So I think they have a good a shot as any. I I think um, USC is among his top three. I think he has very high interest in USC. Um, Certainly, there's a little bit of a question as to whether he goes football or track because he has been that successful in track. As a player, if he does go football route, I lean towards him being more of a defender and more of a defensive end just because I still have a lot of questions as to how good of a receiver he is. You know, if you're going to put him at tight end, you know that's a little more of a football position. That's a little more of a you have to be a natural pass catcher. You can't just be fast and big and be a great tight end you you have to catch the ball and you also have to block um whereas if you're defensive end you can use raw athleticism and still be pretty successful as a pass rusher so i would lean more to him playing defense uh i think with usc they've talked about him playing both i don't know recently if the conversation has been weighted more one towards the other i got the vibe initially. Uh, listening to him talk to uh, Jared Perez, our intern who spoke to him at the Mount SAC Relays, uh, I wrote the, the the story for the interview. Audio-wise, I got the vibe like he kind of wants to play a tight end receiver role more. And again, stands to reason. Said it at the beginning of the podcast. You know, kids always want to be looked at as being, you know, that more athletic version of of of, of position-wise then maybe they are right. And it's like more athletic, how more athletic can you be than, you know, running a 10 two <laughs> and being six, 235 pounds. I don't mean it that way. I mean, the perception, it's the perception of the position you play. So if you play um, defensive end, that's looked at more like alignment position. And so it's not as uh, flashy. It's not as finesse as if you were a tight end hybrid wide receiver, like a Drake London type. So that's always with kids. You know, they, they again, if you're a defensive end, you want to be looked at as a linebacker. If you're a linebacker, you want people to look, you say, oh, well, he could play safety because he's athletic enough. That, that just is part of the recruiting process. And coaches entertain those whims a lot just to get kids on campus and to get them recruited and to get them committed. Um, at the end of the day, though, you have to kind of strip those those fantasies away and say, hey, listen, this is this is what you do well. This is uh, this is where you need to play and sell that position then and get that player to buy in playing that position.
1: Next one goes to me. How much do you think USC's recruiting board gets shuffled if they win ten plus games? Do you believe recruits like Jerion Dickey, DeAndre Moore, Junior Walker, Lyons, Lucas Simmons, and Dalen Austin end up with USC with that type of season? Uh, well, I think their board will get shuffled a lot. Obviously, they're going to be a lot more. They're going to be a hot product. They're going to be talked about a lot on the national. Seen on ESPN and Talking Heads and college football, and they're going to have a lot of buzz. So naturally, I think kids are going to be drawn to the buzz. And if they're winning ten plus games, you know they're they're putting up some impressive wins on the field. You know, maybe that's a Utah win, maybe that's a Notre Dame win as well. So I think they'll definitely have a bunch of buzz, and I think a lot of kids that maybe were committed elsewhere, local kids, uh, will start to to look at them a little differently, and maybe uh, they'll have a lot more uh, pull. Uh, with these guys and get them on campus for maybe an official visit that they they have saved up or guys will be back on for an unofficial visit or a game day, stuff like that. So absolutely any of those guys you listed on there, I could definitely see them ending up multiple of those guys ending up in the class. Walker Lions maybe a little bit different if they decide if they do get Deuce Robinson and they do, you know, keep Kate Eldridge, they could take three tight ends. So definitely he could be in there. Lucas Simmons, absolutely. Depending on what Florida state does, if Florida state's struggling and USC's winning ten plus games, absolutely. They can recircle there. Dalen Austin join the recruiting process. Absolutely. DeAndre Moore, with whatever what happens with Louisville, we'll see. But it's a it's a possibility. You already USC is already has that third wide receiver spot filled by the time. So maybe not him, but Jerion Dickey. He maybe he's that third receiver. So we'll kind of see where that goes. But definitely they're gonna have a chance to pick up some some higher end guys for this class if they're if they're winning ten plus games. And Gerard, final question. USC has recently targeted a number of new receivers in the twenty twenty-three class. Can you give us your thoughts on the skill sets of Jacoby Lane, Orlando Greenlow, Jaron Hamilton, and Jerion Dickey? Specifically, what do you feel who do you feel is the best of the group? Uh Gerard, I just want to say we have broken down these guys before. So if you just want to talk about who you feel like where their strengths are, that's fine as well.
0: Yeah, I would say check out last week's podcast because that we actually went into detail about these guys and and sort of what they bring to the table. And you actually left Malachi Coleman off the list. Now, I know Malachi Coleman has been recruited mostly by uh, Roy Manning um, because Malachi Coleman does play kind of a hybrid defensive end linebacker position as well, um, but is also rated as a receiver. So he's just kind of a big athlete, but obviously different. We talked about it then, than Lane. Or Greenlow. Greenlow, I have not seen film on. So I can't tell you really what Greenlow's actual strengths are and attributes are as a receiver. Uh mostly a basketball player as I know him. Uh, but obviously being a basketball player and being tall, you would think that you know he'd be a 50 50 ball type guy. He'd be a guy that could go up for the ball and play. But in terms of his route running and his speed and everything, uh still kind of an unknown to us. Uh with Lane, he is much more of a pure receiver. He's uh, very slight, uh, but he um, you know, has uh, some decent speed. I think his speed has improved, and that's where you've seen the later scholarship offers. He's been able to put some stuff on film where he's being a little more quicker. He's being able to get off the line quicker and not being so easy to press as a six-five receiver. Uh, but he's a guy that, that plays finesse, and he plays pretty high up. Um, kind of a, maybe a poor man's Dwayne Jarrett from watching him on film. Um, so, uh, definitely a big receiver, but not necessarily a big physical receiver, more of a guy that, um, is a, is sort of a vertical type of threat, um, up the field who makes a lot of plays, uh, sort of above, uh, the defender. Um, Jerry Hamilton, haven't seen much of him. He was, he offered him a while ago. I haven't really watched any film on him. I can't really speak to him. Jerry and Dickey is clearly the best of the group. Uh, he's the most physical, uh, he's proven the most on the circuit. Uh, that he can be consistent as a pass catcher. He was originally rated as an athlete by 24-7 Sports uh, because he plays some defensive back. And so that kind of shows you his versatility in terms of his agility, his balance, and things that he can do outside of just catching the football. So catching the football is really the question, how natural of a pass catcher was he? And he showed a uh, during the circuit that he very much is a very good pass catcher. He's very good hands. What does USC have in terms of the the shot at, at any of these players, we know that Lane kind of favoring Oregon originally uh, because they were on him first. Greenlow, kind of an unknown, not really sure where he stands with schools necessarily. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, has really just sort of picked up his recruitment lately. Uh, I think with uh, Dickey, it's going to be harder. He's not going to transfer to modern day, as we had been told um, earlier in the year. Looks like he's going to stay in the barrier And I've talked about it. USC has not had very much success in the Bay area. They haven't really recruited the Bay area very hard. So I think their connections there are just not that great. I will say that Zach Hansen went up to the Bay area to recruit uh, Walker Lions and some other players. So they do have somebody that is originally from that area because Zach Hansen is actually originally from Northern California um, recruiting those areas now that will help them probably in the future. Um, I don't know how much contact he had with, uh, with Dickie and, you know, what the conversations were with that it seems like Oregon and then Miami are the two schools that are are really out in front for Dickey the most. You got to get him on campus at some point. You know, he's not a recruit for you. He's not really a target for you unless he's willing to make that trip to USC and get on campus. So if he was at modern day, that would be much easier to do at this point. You know, he might as well be in Alaska. uh, If you've been in the Bay area, I I know that that sounds crazy. It's like, what do you mean? Gerard, you know, that's like a five hour drive. Like, you know, you can, you, you can get to the Bay Area from, from uh, to USC and not even have to fly, but those kids just never, they just never seem to uh, unofficially visit USC. Just just seems like you just do not get a lot of those kids down here. But I think, you know, with NOAA potentially committing, um, USC obviously making a move with uh, Amos, Talalele, uh, they may be maybe doing a little better job at this point, getting those kids on campus. I think they did a better job uh, with junior days, getting some of those kids on campus from, from the Bay area. Uh, But it's still very much a work in progress. And it just seems like, uh, like once you get uh, north of Fresno, man, those kids just don't show up for game days very often. So uh, that's going to be something that um, they want to recruit. Jerry on Dickey. They're going to really have to make that asserted effort and push for it. And considering that you have these other scholarships that are now on the board recently tells me that they're not necessarily confident that's going to happen.
1: Okay. Uh, Gerard, that was, we wrapped up our Tariq section of questions and that's it. We're clean. We're done. We're at the end of our podcast. I know people have been like the last two have been only two hours. I want two plus hours. Well, I gave you two plus hours. We've gone two plus hours. We're back on track. Ladies and gentlemen the two star pot the two-star composite is back to two plus hours you're welcome Gerard anything else you want to say before we get out of here
0: no we'll uh, continue to uh, bring you the latest from fall camp hopefully we can get um, you know more interesting diverse information and, and some observations from what's going on uh, give you uh, some info on Bobby haskins and you know some of the, the other players at other positions and, and you know it's hard to do that when they're just going through warm-ups and walkthroughs but that's just the access that we're being able for right now. So hopefully in the future, you know, it opens up a little more and we can get a little more and uh, we can convey that to you guys.
1: Okay, you heard it there. Uh, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. This has been the Composite Two Star Recruits, and thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Yeah, leopard sucks!